Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We have another podcast, very special guest. He does not just poker playing, he is a business. He's got Solve for Why and, and many other things to talk about. So we got the man, Matt Berkey here. Matt, how are you doing? Great, how about you? Hanging in, man. Crazy times. COVID, as we know, it's been a bizarre couple months, bizarre year, really. So, you know, uh, for poker, it hasn't online, especially it hasn't changed too much what I'm doing. I'm sure, you know, for you, uh, you guys have the Solve for Why Academy live. I would imagine that's that's shifted things a bit. But overall, you know, tell us a little bit about what you have going on currently and, and how the last few months have affected your your business and playing in general. How has uh, how has COVID sort of impacted your day to day? Yeah, it definitely changed the landscape. Uh, we had a an academy ready to to go um, at the end of March, and then another one already sold out for April, and we had to refund, obviously, uh, due to the outbreak. So we're kind of just on pause. Uh, it's a good opportunity for us to test, to do a lot of marketing, to kind of pay attention to the to the subtle details that uh, get lost in the day to day shuffle whenever you're trying to operate a, a fully functioning business. Um, for me personally, I've just been playing a ton, way, way more than I have in the last five or six years, uh, which has been great. It's good to, uh, to dust off the rust and get out there and still do it. But, um, you know, online hasn't exactly been my forte in the past. Uh, it's been nice to just show up and win. That's, that's always helpful, but, uh, I don't enjoy it. It's tough for me to put in super long sessions online. Yeah. Tell me a bit about online and, and Twitch, I guess, or YouTube, if you will. You're, you've been streaming a lot, getting pretty crazy numbers. Um, is that is that something that has added a more of a passion for you to play online again with, with the component of streaming engagement with people? Is that something that you've uh, you found to, to maybe want you to play more online with, with that doing that? I mean, the, the biggest encouragement has just been the game's been amazing. I, I had the best month maybe ever, uh, you know, not... Not technically, I, I've had massive months, but as far as like personally, uh, the amount that I won, I had probably the best month of my career um, this past month playing on WSOP. I, I think I won like 225000 just playing cash alone and final wow. table two WSOP events. So like the games have been outrageous. Um, but the streaming element, it's, it's a give and take, right? Like I thought I was going to hate it um, because you can't help but give up some EV whenever you're trying to entertain an audience of even one, let alone thousands. Um, But at the same token, especially during an MTT grind, it's a nice distraction, right? Like you don't feel inclined to like hop on Twitter and scroll through tweets. You don't feel inclined to turn on a movie and just like zone out that way. So it is nice to kind of like have this other entity holding you accountable and to feel accountable to them to like, you know, give them entertaining content, uh, ensure that you're making good plays, ensure that you're explaining yourself. All of that's been great. Um, I'm still just a little bit too green to it. So there's a lot that I can improve on the setup. Uh, you know, we haven't integrated to Twitch yet just because we already have a platform on YouTube. And I'm not sure if it makes sense to try to do both. I know Twitch kind of frowns upon that. So uh, th- there's a lot I need to figure out. And then finally, I just like can't really stream cash games. Um, the pool is just so, so, so small and it's so exploitative. You know, there, there's such uh, a low amount of 
optimal play taking place. That like if I'm just sitting here putting in hundreds of hours on stream explaining like why I do certain things against this player but not against that player, etc. I'm just going to torch my EV. Do you, do you think that, um, I mean, if you had to say a calibration of how many, when you play a bunch of tables, what would you say when you're streaming and, and talking to viewers and keeping up? Do you think that adds like two tables, four tables? You know, how many? Because uh, how many are you playing when you're, when you're streaming on, online? Um, usually like four at the most, mostly or most often just two. Uh, but it definitely, it adds a lot. So there were a couple Sundays where I just mass multi-tabled and didn't stream. And I was doing like 12 to 16 and felt okay. Not great. Like, I don't love it. But, you know, pre-Black Friday, uh, it, was a, it was a common thing to do on a Sunday. And it's not out of my wheelhouse. So I felt like kind of okay. I was exhausted after the fact. When I went back to streaming, I did four and I was just overwhelmed. Like, I'm trying to get OBS up and I have hands and like all this other stuff is going on. It's just like, okay, like there's a lot of tax that takes place. Um, just simply having this audience up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things with streaming in general, people don't, you know, they just see what the result is. They don't really see the, 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 the time and effort that goes into it afterward, before preparation, if you're doing giveaways, if it, you know, you have problems, um, there, there's all kinds of things that come along with streaming. And, you know, the, the reality is if you were just playing, let's say one table in streaming versus playing like four, six, eight, 10 and streaming, you start, you start sacrificing, right? Cause now yeah. you're maybe not fully focused on the game. You're also not doing your, your absolute best, what you could be with the chat. And it, it gets a, a bit complicated um, for sure. So yeah, I seen that your, your streams grown really fast. What was your best finish this uh, WSOP? Then you had a couple of final tables. What, what was your, yeah, I final table back to back days. I got seventh and fifth. Um, pretty frustrating. I, I came as chip leader, massive chip leader on the one I got fifth and I was like third in chips, but everybody was super short in the other one. Yeah, that, I mean, it's still pretty pretty exciting. The what was the peak viewers on there? I saw you were hitting some four K, five K, like getting some pretty big. big I had, streams. yeah, I had three or four streams that were like over four K. I think the one when I got fifth might have peaked right around five. Nice. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's funny because like the reality is, if you have twenty viewers or four thousand, uh, it doesn't matter. But it is something about it. You know, you can kind of feel the room building. Like you can feel the energy and the retweet. Like just yeah. stuff that starts getting quicker, and the you know the, the engagements there, and people get excited. And um, it, it's it is fun. There's something kind of electric about streaming. So that's that's cool. Tell me, uh, tell us a little about yourself, background. Most people in poker know you. Um, if if you know, some people here are not from poker, tell me a little bit about where you grew up. I think Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. Area and tell us like a little bit about the upbringing and sort of what what got you into poker. Yeah, I, I just grew up in a very poor suburb of Pittsburgh, uh, very blue collar. It was a steel mill town. Uh, by the time I was a senior in high school, the steel mill had shut down. Now it's like, uh, you know, I go back and it's it's very destitute. Uh, the the whole town has kind of like turned into low income housing. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, drug issues and things like that. You know, the the normal things that you see on the outskirts of a major city whenever you start to get into the rural areas. Um, so yeah, I mean, I graduated with like 53 people, uh, very, very small, but we were a stone's throw away from the city, maybe like 15, 20 minutes. Um, and yeah, I, I had a great childhood. I can't really complain. Obviously, uh, I had certain struggles growing up super poor, but nothing really, you know, too outlandish. Um, got into poker kind of as a way to blend with uh, uh so i played baseball in college and you know as a freshman you get hazed a ton and part of that is drinking but i've never drank 
So, uh, you know, in order to kind of like blend with the upperclassmen and still maintain my own personal moral high ground, I guess, um, poker like served me there. It was something that I dabbled with in high school. And, you know, whenever I was getting a lot of peer pressure from them to drink, I would just be like, oh, you know, like uh, I don't drink, but I gamble. Like, let's play cards. And they accepted that. They were super happy about it. Um, by the time I was a junior, the moneymaker boom hit. So, you know, long road trips, we were playing on the bus, we were organizing tournaments, all these things. And I was 21 at the time. So uh, I, w- I just started going to casinos and doing well. Where, 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 where you went to school in, in Pennsylvania? or where? Yeah, Erie PA, a uh, small school, Gannon University. Nice. And, and uh, so you did play that, you played through all four years, you played baseball? Yeah, five. <laughs> nice. Yeah, me too. I did four and a half. It, it's it's uh it is fun, man. Playing playing a sport in college, it's sort of like you're saying. It's a, it's part of a you know, it's almost like a fraternity. It is. It's a group. It's you're connected, and you have you know, in terms of drinking, that is something very common. But um, is that something you just you never wanted to do? You had is there some reason because that's a bit you know, ab- it's almost like funny to say, but it's almost like abnormal, right? In college, like yeah. most people drink or what? I like what yeah. was that reasoning for you? And do you drink now, or was that just up until no. that? Uh, I've literally never had any curiosity for it whatsoever. Um, And surprisingly enough, I graduated with another kid who also had never drank, but we both shared something in common. His dad was an addict and my mother was an addict. So like, I I think it's probably just normal to see somebody like kind of destroy their life through substance and then want to avoid substance yourself. Um, You know, I grew up with a very rigid mindset in, in my adolescence where like, if it was bad, it was bad. And if it was good, it was good. And there was really no uh, in between or moderation. So I just saw alcohol as very bad. I had this like pipe dream of playing professional baseball and didn't think I was naturally gifted enough to do anything to uh, lessen my chances. Um, So staying away from like anything that could get me in trouble was a pretty easy choice. And would you say, I mean, I think uh, I might have read that. Did you grow up? Your grandparents raised you partly or or at one point? Yeah. Um, and and how was uh how were they and how uh, how was your family I guess overall support system or closest friends relatives when you started playing poker did they say okay that's I mean were they apprehensive or were they sort of like that's great go with your dreams or did you just sort of uh, segue into it like while you were playing baseball and in college and it was kind of just something you fell into yeah I, I mean my grandparents were saints uh, they just trusted me implicitly like I never had a curfew growing up they didn't care if, like they just never had any worries in the world they they trusted I was always make, always make good decisions. Um, so whenever I graduated, basically I did what, what, what appeased them, right? I got my computer science degree, so I always had a fallback. Um, and even though I never had any intentions of using it, it was there and it was something I could always lean on if things went poorly. So by the time I graduated, I was already doing pretty well. I think I had like a $40,000 bankroll and that's more money than myself or anyone in my family had ever had in one lump sum to begin with. So I, I don't think that there was any part of hesitation with them as far as supporting me goes. Uh, same thing with my friends and family. You know, mo- most of my friends got out and were getting entry level positions, paying minimum wage or slightly there above. And, uh, you know, myself and a couple others were playing $10,000 buy-ins and, you know, really uh, living a high life at 23. For sure. And, and uh, I see as you and almost I'd say 98 or 9 percent, everyone who, uh, who's been on this podcast that plays poker has final table or it seems to win their first ever event. So why wouldn't you? Uh, sure. And you, you, the first ever one, you, you take it down or at least the first ever cash. Maybe you played a couple <laughs> others before. But yeah. you do, do you remember, what were you doing in Niagara Falls? That's kind of random in 2006. And I played there a lot. 
Uh, I played Niagara Falls a lot. I played um, Salamaca a lot and uh, also uh, Falls View and Turning Stone. They were all like a stone's throw away from Erie. So Niagara Falls was like an hour and a half. Turning oh, Stone wow. was like four hours. Yeah. So I, I would go there a lot. Uh, I actually didn't win that outright. It was a terrible chop. They gave me first place money and second and third chopped up the rest. Interesting. Yeah, it's got you down. And it says the same first and second, but you did uh, either way. Where it looks like maybe even it was a five-way chop or something because uh, first, second, however it was. But you, you got the taste for tournaments in your mouth at that point. Was that something that you you had you played some online tournaments or is this something that you got? Like what percentage of cash game in tournaments were you playing back then? Like at the uh, I was always heavily focused towards cash. Um, so I was probably playing like three times a week cash. And then I would dabble in tournaments here and there. Basically, I would run up a big bankroll live, and then I would put some of it online and and just fire. Um, and I just rinse and repeat it until I got lucky. I uh, final tabled the party poker, whatever their nightly tournament was back in 06. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it was like closer to, yeah, I think it was 2006. I final tabled it back-to-back nights and got like second and third. So I just woke up and had a 60K roll um off of like you know 15k live roll that i had run up and and is that something when so you were playing do you enjoy live or online more it seems like you're saying here you you it sounds like you enjoy live more yeah not really playing online much and and would you say nowadays like let's say pre-covid let's just take 2019 were you what percent were you playing online versus live uh maybe like one percent i would just like when i got super bored i would play a little 510 deep on wsop but uh, yeah, I have no interest in uh, committing a lot of time, money, or effort into online. I just, uh, I think the 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 future prospects of it are kind of bleak. Um, I think it has a lot more of an apocalyptic outlook than live. Live kind of protects itself due to the inability to put in volume. Um, I think that because of that, there's less predatory behavior. It still exists, of course, um, but you can't really scale it the way that it scales online. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of the study uh, that's currently taking place is a lot less effective live because ranges are so warped and uh, you know, basically all the things that you cover in a average vacuum scenario aren't necessarily going to apply when somebody's way, way, way too tight or way, way, way too wide. Now don't get me wrong. Good players obviously are going to adjust, but it just takes forever to win all the money. So there's just like a lot of natural things that are in place that protect the live environment. Um, whereas online, it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's a landscape where everybody's in an arms race to win all the EV now and aren't really interested in doing anything to preserve the climate or environment moving forward. So I, I worry about it, to say the least. Yeah, no. There's there's been some major changes uh, this this last year. Or so with real real uh, real names, some of the sites, Party Poker took the lead, and then No Huds, the heads up displays. But yep. I mean, it is a constant battle. Like there is just seems like every time something good happens, then some ruling or state law or legislation or UIEGA happens, and then this happens. Then there's like interstate, and then there's like now solvers or real time um, scripting and, and RTA just, is a real, real concern moving forward. I think. Yeah. Tell, tell people about what that is exactly. Uh, so real time assistance is just basically the ability to uh, utilize something to better your strategy in real time. Be it, I mean, obviously a HUD would be like the most barbaric version of it, um, mm-hmm. but uh, a much more complex 
uh, utilization of it would be some sort of simple solver that you can run in real time. So basically, it's it's taking all of the parameters uh, in real time and spitting out some sort of basic strategy. And that may not seem like a big deal, but in essence, what it does is it turns the human into a bot. So it's right. botting without actually breaking the botting TOCs in, in a lot of ways. Um, and that just prints EV, especially in, in the current climate. Right. Yeah, no, I guess I you think about it too. You get time banks and you start getting deep in a tournament and you have one table left and it's, uh, or whatever. And you got, you know, I don't know. I definitely think about that. Like it wouldn't be that hard, right? Because if it say it's like detectable on your software, but you just have another yeah. uh, computer, someone else is there running it, having it set up, ready to go. Like, I don't know. I mean, these things are definitely possible do happen i'm sure in some capacity it is going on and um it's tricky there's a lot of online a, a lot of battles for online i agree i mean i think to your point online or live poker has been doing very well the numbers are up new series mm-hmm. are popping up people seem to love poker i think there's a you know i don't know, i would know, love your opinion but in my opinion with the youtube twitch all these other things it's like people are getting more excitement or exposure to it and then they maybe want to go try it live and this whole covid thing is like you know all things all bets are off at the moment yeah. it's kind of weird to see but then again maybe once the doors open up and things are back to normal maybe people are just gonna be like bursting at the scene and maybe there's been so much online content and and stuff going and, and poker maybe people are ready to get out there and try it but uh, i guess that's you know we'll, we'll see uh what do you think overall net though for for um twitch youtube and stuff do you, do you feel that this is making a difference in the poker community uh, live and online do you think this is helping yeah, yeah i i think it's a net positive for sure um and I mean, I, without question, I think it's a net positive. I, I think that it fills the void that, you know, ESPN and WSOP have kind of left in the poker community. Um, it allows a new generation to kind of curate their talent and uh, develop a following. And, you know, we see it from the top to the bottom, right? So, like, guys like Spraggy, Fenton, uh, Lex that are, are, you know, kind of churned by the, the stars machine. Uh, yeah. The party poker stream team like you and Staples and, and all those guys that, you know, you guys have have real marketing power behind you. And that's 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 worth a lot. Right. Like yeah. it, it not just generates eyes, but it generates a narrative. It, it creates a storyline that people can follow. And, you know, you're reliable. They, they can rely on that. So I think that's very comparable to like the ESPN product that we saw in the early 2000s. Um, people will find their favorites and they will form an allegiance. We'll see things like the crew popping back up and, you know, these fun storylines that could potentially happen. Uh, I think the problem that we face is scale. Uh, I don't think poker as a whole or streamers of, as a whole have figured out how to reach that scale yet. Um, right. not, not the way that esports have, not the way that even casual gaming has. Um, you know, the audience is just very limited and the product doesn't lend itself aesthetically to really doing too much, right? We, we can't really play with the product all that much to make it more appealing. Where like on the gaming side of things, it's like there's always going to be a new game that comes out that generates interest, right? There's always going to be uh, a new pack to download. There's going to be a new skin, whatever the case may be. We're just constantly going to be on the same platform that we're always on. And that lends itself to some pretty big challenges. Uh, it really puts a lot of pressure on the streamer himself or herself. Yeah to uh to be talent yeah now also the delay is very tricky a lot these games yep. all have no delay you're talking about a five six seven minute delay it's tough right like it's very abnormal like if you take a gamer a top Fortnite or person player if you told them you got to stream on a six minute delay they'd be like 
they would just it would be like right. foreign it would be like wow that's that's terrible like it's yeah. it's hard to really connect or engage real and and follow a conversation and you might start talking and then have to re- uh, so yeah there's there's definitely uh definitely some some battles with with that and, and being creative i mean you look at stars what they did with the stadium series some of the commentary uh with the with the uh real time um you know not just showing final tables but showing whole cards up and and rotating broadcasters you see party as well wpt they've, they've got some new nice software and I mean, there's stuff happening i think um i think it's 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 fair to say everything's op- getting optimized and getting better and maybe this yep. period is going to help with that uh what what, it, what have you been you know, i will say because solve for why I've known about for a while. I've been to your studio. We did, I believe, um, what was that? We shot. There was something. There was the a heads up challenge. A heads up challenge. Yeah. I was there. I was very impressed. You know, that was like my first real uh, live up close look at what you guys were doing. I saw, you know, the, the it was like a fraternity type feel. You got the house. You got the tables and the the nice equipment, and it's like a class studio coaching session. Kind of guys had it all going. Now, you know, I've also gotten to see recently some of your streaming. I've seen. Um, Christian, I see the the nice art in the back. You guys got some good artists. Whoever's doing all your art, that's some cool yeah. uh, um, gaming poker collaborations. Uh, and I see he's he's really getting into you know more of a broadcast. You guys are doing a podcast and doing a lot of content. Uh, what is a what is what is Solve for Why up to at the moment? It seems like you guys got a lot going on and seem kind of re reinvented, invigorated, and doing a lot of different things. So have you guys like really turned it up recently, or is this kind of always been the plan? Tell us more about solve for why yeah i mean we're on the trajectory that i've i've foreseen from the beginning but because of covid uh it's given us the freedom to kind of ramp things up so pre-covid we were releasing content on our training site daily um and that's just daunting right it's like christian and i have to make maybe uh four pieces of content a month uh the other coaches that are on staff uh jack and matt they're doing the same and it takes a lot of time. You know, we probably put like 30 hours plus into each course uh, and we were doing it monthly. So when COVID hit, uh, I was just kind of like, you know, we can't keep up this pace because naturally we're just going to lose some clientele. People just aren't going to be able to afford poker training during this time. And we're not going to be able to afford keeping uh, a full production staff uh, on hand. So we kind of basically found a way to uh, scale everything back. We dropped our price. I was going to honestly just do it for free uh, during the entire COVID just to, to um, use it as like a loss leader. Um, but I got convinced to do it at $9.99 instead, which is essentially free. And now we're just releasing one piece of content a week, which is no burden to anyone. Um, and because of that, it gives us a lot of time and effort to put on to the, to the other things. Um, you know, our biggest strength is our production crew, Pigtails. Uh, we have a documentary that's coming out soon, probably in the next month. Uh, it's going to be on our site in Poker Go. Um, so I'm looking forward to that releasing. We're also doing a um, a seven part course, um, sort of designated towards beginners. That is all uh, whiteboard videos. Um, so that's going to launch, I think, in three weeks. Um, we're going to drop uh, each part monthly. Um, and each course will have, uh, seven lessons. So it's seven part curriculum with seven or sorry, it's a seven course curriculum with seven lessons per course. Uh, so we'll be putting out a new course every month, uh, using these whiteboard videos. Um, yeah, you know, it's just an opportunity to get creative. It's an opportunity to test, uh, like I said, see where the boundaries lie in the market. Um, I just think there's a lot that isn't really being addressed in poker that we can, uh, potentially latch onto and, 
and push forward on. And who came up with Solve for Why? What what is the what is the name? Who who where did this originate? And was this like was it instantly the team you had, or did you have to sort of enroll people to 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 go on this journey with you? How did this all come up? Um, yeah, so the name and the backstory, I guess, is is mostly my doing. Uh, we we started in 2016, and at the time, I was playing exclusively the big game. But when you're playing that big and it's invite only, you're only playing a couple hundred hours a year. So I had a lot of free time on my hands, and uh, you know, I was always interested in business and figuring out a way to make some sort of passive income. At the time, there was a much bigger, uh, let's say, gap in the industry. The training industry was pretty much just run it once. And, uh, you know, some of the other uh, longstanding sites like Crush Live and uh, Jonathan Little site. But there wasn't all the competition that there is now. Um, And we thought we had a unique advantage. We had the production team and we had uh, an RFID table. So I was like, let's run a live seminar where people kind of get to play. We'll do commentary over their whole cards. It'll be a unique experience. It'll give them that TV final table experience that uh, they can't otherwise get elsewhere. Um, and it kind of grew from there. The, the whole methodology behind it was that, um, you know, the way that I've always generated my strategies, the way that I think, uh, maybe this is born out of studying computer science, but uh, I'm just a root cause analysis type of person. So I don't care that much to understand what a problem is, um, but I'm much more interested in why it exists. And that's the way I view poker too. It's like, if I'm struggling with a scenario, I try to get to the root cause as to why. And that really forces a 10,000 foot approach where you're kind of zooming way out and you're not looking at the micro minutia of, uh, I struggle with blind versus blind or, um, you know, whenever I have a marginal hand under the gun, I put myself in awkward spots. You have to zoom like way out and start to look at things from uh, a much more, um, I guess, broad perspective. And that was basically what we were trying to encourage people whenever we were developing our training. I I think that people get too swamped with trying to solve every single spot and have an answer for every single question. Whereas uh, our methodology was just to aim to give people general principles to lean on anytime that a problem persisted. Very cool. And how, and talk about Christian and, um, you know, the, your team as well, who's involved, like how, yeah. how long have they been in from the very start? Jordan as well. Did you guys, did you have to say, look guys and talk them into it? Or is it just sort of like this sort of came up, you guys were good friends and, and just, you know, this was always something you were just already doing poker together and talking poker. Was it a natural fit or did you have to sort of, um, you know, shift or make anyone see, see your vision or yeah. was it just easy? With Christian, it was it was a lot of his idea to go forward with it. Uh, I was pretty hesitant. I didn't like the idea of training sites. I didn't like the idea of, uh, especially like 2016, so much more was exploitative back then than yeah. now. Um, so I didn't really want to put my thoughts out to the world. But, uh, you know, he kind of convinced me that we had something unique and also that like most people just aren't listening. So uh, you, you don't really have to concern yourself all that much. Uh, with Jordan, he was my roommate at the time and I was backing him. So uh, he was a pretty natural fit as far as like being on board. Um, his ability to teach, though, uh, kind of struggled. And then eventually, like he just kind of like lost the the passion for the game and everything else. So he ultimately ended up moving home, going back to school, which I think is a really great move. It's very adult of him. Um, we supported him along the way and we're happy to see him do it. 
um, in the midst of all that, uh, I had actually done a podcast, man, it must've been like way back in 15, uh, for tournament poker edge. And Matt hunt was one of the hosts. And, uh, it was a really interesting conversation. We weren't really talking about poker at all. We started talking about like altruism and charity work and just all this other stuff. And I had like basically become friends with him through that pod, uh, and just, kind of keeping in touch and speaking back and forth a little bit more, it was very clear that he had a lot of skills that were beneficiary to what we were doing. You know, he has a language background. And I think like one of the most difficult elements of teaching poker is trying to translate math into language. So, uh, you know, having his expertise in that arena is just invaluable to us. Uh, He also has thousands of hours online. So he offered uh, a perspective that we didn't necessarily uh, possess between Christian and I, since we're mostly live guys. Right. Uh, so he was a supernatural fit. And then um, Jack Lasky uh, of, of the Just Hands podcast, same thing. I did a pod with him, found him to be a really interesting guy. Uh, him and Zach at the time, I reached out to them. They were kind of doing something similar where they were running like uh, these live sessions uh, of gameplay. And I was like, look, why don't we just collab? Um, and it turned into a thing where he just became one of our permanent coaches. That's awesome. And how many total people now, if you take production for videos, co- you know, their whole thing, what is Salt for Why? How, how, how uh, deep is that team now? I think we have 10 people on payroll. Um, and then additionally, like uh, Andre Hankshua, who uh, worked very closely with Jason at Run Up Once, or Run It Up rather. Um, he and his team have been helping us like do a lot of the live stuff. So, uh, the last few weeks that our podcast was live, that was all him. Um, so yeah, we, we have like somewhere between 10 and 15 on staff. And, and how do you enjoy So at this point you're, you sort of had to get talked into the code doing this, this, uh, solve for why and pushing forward with it. Cause it is a lot of work to have your brand and do these type of things, uh, for sure. But looking at it now, are you very, are you super proud of this? Like when you, when you look look at this is it like something that you basically do you enjoy streaming do you enjoy doing all this like kind of the side work that goes into it like not even streaming but coaching or putting on a clinic or do you still love to play more like what do you for you is it like would you rather go and just play a live cash game or do you want to vlog a cash session make a video you know stream and make highlights like to you what what do you enjoy the most i mean i enjoy playing the most and honestly like in a perfect world i would have just remained anonymous and no one would have ever known my name and I would have disappeared into the sunset making however much I was making. Um, I don't like the public eye. That was a big hesitancy whenever I was planning on doing this. Like I never wanted to be a big Twitter persona. I never wanted to, but the other thing is that like I am outspoken. I do have opinions. uh, So I enjoy having a platform. Um, Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed growing the brand. I like creative projects. I, I like everything that we've done in the process of doing this, um, I've grown to love things like the podcast, the streams, uh, you know, basically like utilizing the platform to, to speak my mind on whatever the topic at hand is. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to, if, if this had never happened and I was presented the opportunity to start the same product again today, I wouldn't. Um, and even if I could go all the way back to 2016, uh, and somebody gave me the opportunity to start the same process or not, I probably wouldn't have just because uh, I don't think I could have predicted that the market was going to be this competitive. And I already think that the ceiling is relatively low 
in uh, poker training. So uh, it's one of those things where it's more of a passion project than it is um, something that's going to you know make me a lot of passive income or, or make me rich in some sort of capacity. But I do think that the skills that I've acquired from a business acumen sense, uh, as well as the potential to leap into other markets moving forward is probably going to be invaluable in the future. Yeah. And, and tell me about the podcast stuff. Cause obviously we're on a podcast. I also, I, I created like a whole new thing Not I didn't just use, uh, I, I just see the, like, I love it. I enjoy it. And I think it's like, not just poker. Is this something for you? Do you, you say you love podcasting? Do you see that sticking to poker? Or do you, do you think maybe is that something you might want to do down the road where you just be like, you know what, I'm gonna have a podcast and talk about things in life that are people that interest me or topics and subjects. Is, is that because podcasting seems to be, I'm actually shocked. Like I'll look around and I just saw like JJ Reddick has over a hundred now. And he, I didn't even know he had a podcast till last yeah. week. And, you know, I see these other, there's other people and in industries doing things and sort of, you know, cause it's a bit intimidating, but once you start it and realize it's about conversations and interesting people and just sort of chatting, it, I, you know, it's pretty cool. Is that something that you would like to do, you know, whether or not it's poker related or is this just sort of yeah. for poker at the moment? Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like even our pocket, we, we don't really stick to poker all that much. Um, we, we do our best to do our due diligence and, and talk about the most relevant things, but there are a lot of weeks where there just isn't anything to talk about poker related. Um, I, I think podcasting is fascinating. I, I think that every industry has a collection of really high intellectual people that should have their voices heard. Um, you know, I, I just think about like comedy and um, you know, it's crazy how intelligent that small pool of people are. People like Whitney Cummings. Uh, she just developed the podcast. She is, wildly intelligent and you would just never know it watching her comedy uh, or or listening to a three minute interview. So like, I think it's really critical to give people like that a platform. I think guys like Joe Rogan who have a different type of intelligence, it's almost like a social intelligence, right? Like he's not out there blowing anybody away with any of the stances that he takes, but he's really good at getting the most intelligent people of each field. And then just like questioning them in a way that the audience is, is kind of clinging to every single answer. So, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, I really enjoy writing, and I think this is more uh, of just an extension of that, right? It's just long-form content where instead of spending hours or days making sure that each word is placed correctly and flows perfectly, you're kind of more just like off the top of the dome. This is more of like uh, what would go into like the brainstorming session of, of a writing process, I guess. Yeah, it, it is cool. You know, it's, I, I think it's also interesting to see guys in the, in the industries, like whether yeah, poker, sports, any kind of career that's, you know, of a social platform, seeing people that are motivated and sort of dive in and, and decide to start it. Cause it is, it's, it's not even just a pie. It's a lot of the production. It's learning stuff. You kind of see how it works and now you got, okay, you got to get on iTunes, Spotify. I have a video thing. Is it on delay? Is it, you know, you start to learn like sort of other skills and, and organization and, and realize what goes into it. So you know, it's a lot of fun. It's just, uh, it's one of those. It's one of those things. I just, I, I've seen a bit of your guys, and I think Christian's really good at it too. How he does it, and and uh, it's fun to see you guys um, developing it. I, I, I got a question about the. Well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about: poker, high stakes, cash, um, tournaments, and big buy-ins. But I do want to under what you think about. Did you get to see the duel by any chance? Did you watch any of that with Antonio and Phil Helmut? Did you see? Yeah. What, I, did I didn't you, see the final outcome. I know Antonio won, but I, I watched like twenty minutes of it. Um, 
Yeah, and and would you play in that something like that? You like that one-on-one kind of format would that, against someone that you you feel like it would either you'd have an edge or it would be interesting or you just want to battle like do you think that uh um is that something that would be do you think um, your style I, well? Uh, eh, I don't know. I I'm I'm definitely not a heads-up specialist. It's ironic because I I just said I had one of the best cash months of my life and most of it was heads-up. But uh it's deep stack cash. So like Heads up, deep stack cash, nine-handed deep stack cash, whatever. I feel very comfortable in that realm. Um, playing heads up in a, a turbo sit-and-go format, I really don't think I'm going to have an edge unless I take a lot of time and study. Um, so I guess I would need to be incentivized to do so. I really do think the dual format is cool, though. Like, uh, I like the idea of it being like this uh, almost like boxer contender type setup where you know both players have an entry-level position uh, in this instance, it was a $50,000 buy-in. And then the winner advances and the loser has the op- option to uh, challenge them again now for double the prize pool. Yeah. And should he pass, now just a new contender comes in at the 100 k level. And then the right. 200 k level and the 400 You know what I mean? Like, I think that's really cool. I think it it's set up in a very sort of like video game format where right. you can just have Ivy sitting waiting at like the 800 k level as the end boss. Uh, should anybody yeah. dare like go that far? Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of sit and go formats, but, um, that's just kind of being nitpicky. Right. And, and, and speaking just again, not to stir up or choose sides, but just give me your, your hot take on the, the Polk Negron you think, cause this video, I'm sure you saw, I mean, it was, listen, Doug and Daniel have had some sort of, uh, you know, situation for, for a few years now and it got really pushed. I mean, I don't know. It just, it was wild. Like that, the last bit of that video just took a turn, like where I just, you know, it becomes, is it, is it friendly? Is it fun? Is it make it a thing to kind of like aggressive? And now, I mean, he got, maybe what's what he wanted. They are going to do a battle. What, what do you take on, on a heads up for a cash game? Um, what, what do you think about that whole situation? Do you think it's fun? Is this like good for whatever? Is this too much? Is this over the top? Like where do you stand on this sort of uh, uh. I'll start on the general and then I'll, I'll go into my own selfish reasons. Uh, generally speaking, this is amazing for poker. There's, mm-hmm. there's just no getting around it, right? Like, and it's going to be on guys like us who have platforms to push this, promote it, to make sure it's a big thing for people to care about. Just like the Galphon Challenge. Like, I don't think that collectively we all did enough to promote what a good job Phil did with the Galphon Challenge. And that's mm-hmm. kind of unfortunate. Um, with the Negranu Polk thing, like, you know, it has this extra layer of them hating one another. It has this like almost WWE type yeah. of feel to it, which I think is great entertainment. I think it, it, it leads a lot of narratives for uh, the collective to kind of stir up and uh, make this interesting for a long period of time. Uh, personally, I, I hate it. Um, I hate that Daniel is giving a platform to Doug again. Uh, not that Doug doesn't already have his own. But, you know, this guy was retired. He was done. He was gone. Uh, and, and honestly, like, I was happy for it because I don't like the way Doug does business. I don't like that uh, the vast majority of his social profile was just finding other people who are in the same industry and then dragging them through the mud at all costs. Um, you know, he did it to me over, like, some bullshitty nonsense that was kind of laughable that turned into, like, a four-month just take down piece, uh, which uh, I, I think is just shitty. I, I think it's bad. I think the real reason I think it's bad is because it works, right? So, like, I don't 
like the idea of setting the precedence that the bully wins when it's all said and done, especially in this instance where he's a big favorite. You know, I think the uh, poker shares line was like uh, Doug start, opened as like a three to one favorite. Um, and I'm sure if Daniel studies his ass off, he can reduce that number. But I, I don't think that this is a win win for Daniel at all. I think it's very much a lose lose. Let, let me ask you this though: do you, What scenario do you see when it's when this is over? Right? Like, let's just say the line is the line. Daniel is an underdog because maybe let's say Doug's you know preferred format, rusty or not or whatever. Daniel mm-hmm. he's played a lot, and he's let's just say Doug wins. Um, Doug's kind of the bully in the scenario, right? How it's how it's pl- played out. Like, do you see them shaking hands and like kissing no. and making up? Or this is like no, and that's like, that's what I mean. Like, there's no resolution to this. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Daniel's just going to lose and give a lot of money to his mortal enemy, and I don't understand that at all. That's why I'm almost like deep down. I mean, I know there's not, but I'm just like in my back of my mind, I'm trying to find some sort of. Uh, it's like the most sort of diabolical like- thing on Polk's behalf, right? Like he gets to shit on this guy for years to the point where he goads him into a fight that he can't win and then ultimately makes money off of it, right? Is like, could you is he giving him odds or is this even money? No, I it's mean. even money. That, that I think would be reasonable. I think if like Doug was laying like 1.1 or 1.2, uh, on the match and yeah. you know, giving some sort of rebate on losses. Yeah, basically, Daniel didn't do a very good job of negotiating. He had all of the p- negotiating yeah, power. For here. sure, Doug wants this more than it. Like the, for, for Doug, sure. this, is like, this is definitely uh, worth him coming out of so-called retirement or rising yeah. to the occasion. This is this has got a lot of hype. This is definitely two of the higher profile guys in the community over the you know the last decade. This is um, something that I've been talking about for a long time. Where I said that Daniel's untouchable. Uh, in the sense that we can't build a personality as big as him because right. not, not, not because Daniel can't be replicated, but because we'll never have the same machine that Daniel had when stars was fully backing him for the better part of a decade, right? They put him on every single cash game televised event. They put him in every single major buy-in that was on TV, right? We don't have that. We'll never have that sort of churn behind any singular person. But Doug's as close as we got. He, Doug reached the ceiling of how far you can independently take yourself uh, in this game. And now he's leveraging Daniel to close the gap even further, right? Now he's taking Daniel's platform and leveraging it against him to ensure that Doug gets much closer to a Negranu than Daniel just being on an island of untouchable. Right. Yeah. It's kind of funny too, because they both have, you know, in, in poker now that, like you said, it's competitive, but there's, there's only a handful of courses. I could basically rattle them off, raise your edge, um, you know, solve for why uh, you got to learn. Por- there's like, there's six, seven upswing masterclass, Dave and, you know, Daniel and I, so it's kind of like these coaching platforms battling. Like, I mean, Doug could just have a field day with the clips, the content, yeah. the hands, the reviews, like he's basically, yeah, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm just I'm curious on it, so it's I, I sort of fall where you're saying on it. it's a bit uh, a bit bit unclear on the motivate like what why Daniel want to do that, but um you know I think I he know. just wants to punch the bully in the nose. You know I right. think that like he's he's uh, egotistical enough to think that he has a fighter's chance, um, which he may you know he yeah. may be able to train himself up to that point, but uh, it's it's not like they're meeting in the middle somewhere. You know they're right. not playing six max where Doug is hardly an expert and Daniel is a no limit holding player and could maybe get there. They're not playing a tournament format where Daniel has a ton of expertise, right? They're literally playing the game that Doug built his career off of and yeah. Daniel's trying to play catch up. 
I mean, to and be fair, Daniel has sort of done a good good job, or at least on his initial sort of acceptance, he was basically prefacing and saying, you know, this is like he's sort of put setting it up where he knows that he's he's telling everyone like, look, this is uh, I'm not I'm not supposed to win, but I'm gonna go in there. But I don't know. Anyway, just curious because yeah. it is it is pretty big pretty big news and you see some boxing matches and other ways people settle and, and play and heads up. And obviously the Galfun challenge seemed like almost scripted the Benavidi comeback and oh, wow. like you said, how, how crazy that was. And he's got all these other heads up matches uh, kind of going on, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's interesting. Um, tell me, uh, tell me for you what your biggest, so I'm looking at your hand and mob, you hit, you know, you got a deep run early on in, in your career in the WSOP main event or relatively early you had a nice, you know, I could taste it basically that, final five tables mm-hmm. of the main you got 43rd was there any was there any turning point though did that was that a significant boost to your bankroller situation or by 2010 were you already kind of on your way and this was just sort of uh you know whatever was there was there a, was yeah. there a moment where you basically leveled up to like stakes you were playing via a tournament score or a heads up or, so, or some kind of you know, did you go on a run in a short period of time where you you really went up stakes or, or what was like a key moment for you uh 2009 um I had gone broke early in the year and Brent Hanks was my roommate at the time and uh, started backing me. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so funny. He was just, I was just, I just messaged with him just earlier on, on uh, something just now, literally he was, I just sent me something, but um, yeah. That's who I moved out here with. Yeah. yeah. That's who I moved out here with. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. We used to play at Salamanca that I've known him since year one. Um, So he was my roommate at the time. He was crushing online. Uh, He started backing me online and i just turned into a complete grinder i would play 16 hours a day uh not because i wanted to but because i just wanted to have enough money to be free to go play live cash again and between august of 2009 and february of 2010 uh i just mashed i think i won like i don't know three or four hundred thousand uh culminating in chopping the full tilt 750k for mm-hmm. one hundred and ten thousand, uh and with every score, I would like buy a bigger piece of myself. So by the time I, I chopped the uh, 750K, I think I might have had like 70% of myself or something of that nature. Um, so, you know, I went from broke to having like uh, a 60 or 70K role within six months. I proved to myself that I could win online. Um, and from there, it just spun up. I started playing live cash again. I had a 50K month playing 510 followed by a 50K t- uh, Venetian tournament score where I got second and then the deep run in the main event. So suddenly I had like 350K uh, having been broke less than a year earlier. Um, and that was the best thing and the worst thing that could have happened to me at the time. I was just, I had never had that kind of money and I was only 28. So uh, I felt invincible. I felt like I had more money than I could ever need in life. So I started playing 10, 20, 40. I was doing really well. Um, I think I won like a quarter million that summer uh, playing the Bellagio game. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with all my money. So I just started backing everybody I knew. And <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. that's how it goes, yeah, right? You don't know what to invest in. So you invest in what you know, right? And I was just backing a bunch of my friends who weren't as dedicated as me and weren't learning. And I was arrogant enough to think that like I could help them. Um, but we were just on very, very different levels. And eventually I lost like a little over 200 in backing. Uh, I went on a small downswing myself. And by 2012, I was broke again. Um, So that was a massive, massive learning process for me. Uh, 
call it luck, good fortune, preparation, whatever. Uh, I spent most of 2012 broke. And uh, by the time 2013 had rolled around, uh, I had scraped together some money from a friend, final tabled an event at the wind, started playing small cash, ran it up, sold a package to the summer, final tabled three events, and I had a half a million dollars by August of 2013. Um, so once that happened, uh, I was lucky enough to be good friends with Bob Bright, who never knew that I went broke and basically had been teasing me with an invite to the big game uh, at Aria for the better part of 18 months. Yeah, uh, I finally had the opportunity to take him up on it. So they were playing 200, 400, uh, 20 came in. And he was like, yeah, we're, we need players. Uh, you just had a good summer. Why don't you come in? We love tournament players. That's what he would always say. We're like, well, we love tournament players in this game. It's like, okay. Uh, so I went in there, started playing 2-4. Uh, kind of got my head kicked in a little bit in the early goings. Lost like um, 60,000 where I had half of myself. And then the game got kicked up like almost immediately to 3-6-12. Mm-hmm. So um, I was lucky that I had, you know, friends of friends that had a lot of faith in me. I was able to sell a big piece, uh, eventually just getting full-time backing and was playing 3-6-12 for the better part of six and a half years, uh, wow. give or take. Um and that was just, you know, that was the ultimate turning point. Just getting into that game was was never looking back. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I mean, it's similar. I can relate. It, it, it just can happen so quickly. You get into a decent spot or a good game. And I think a lot of people, you know, there's interesting viewpoints on that type of stuff. But really, I think it is about you know, luck is when, you know, you, you give yourself the whole prep, you know, that, that quote about luck and preparation and opportunity, you know, and that meets it when those things come together because, um you just don't know when it's going to happen. And if, if you're ready and you have the, the skill set, whether it's exactly, you know, being a great player or you know, networking or having people and finding opportunities to get in good situations. Um, you know, you and I have actually, we've played at least a few times in some in pretty good games. I think last January was the last yeah, time. On the, on the yacht. Yeah, that was fun. That was, what was it, 2-4 or 4-8 or 5-1? I don't know. It was a big game. <laughs> it was a big game. <laughs> it was fun, uh, fun though. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those games are, you know, a lot of time you are either staked or backed or I would sell pieces. That's pretty normal, um, you know, at least for the non-businessman side that, that uh, you and I fall into. You would be shocked how many people don't understand that. Like, I get yeah. so ridiculed. Like, people are just convinced that I'm in infinite makeup because I'm pretty transparent about my path. Like, I went on a $5 million downswing. I went on a $6 million upswing. Um, I parted ways with my backing team uh, last April, but it was in in the green, you know, or in the black, whatever. Um, And it's one of those things where it's just like, it's so insane. Could you ever imagine, like, criticizing a startup or a small business because they sold uh, some of the equity of their company, like no founder has a hundred percent nowhere. It's impossible because you can't ever achieve scale if that's the case. And poker is the exact same way. It's like, sure. If you're a five, 10, 10, 20 grinder. Yeah. You should try to have all of yourself because you know what? Your win rate isn't going to be so high that you can really stand to dilute yourself over the long run. But if you want to scale in this game, if you want to play absolute nosebleeds, then you have no choice but to figure out a way to bring on partners. (laughs) Oh, Hank's in the chat. Uh, Yeah, you have to figure out a way to bring on partners who have a lot of faith in your ability to win. Uh, You know, it's not uncommon. People just don't talk about it. You think that, like, these guys that are playing 4K, 8K over in Triton just have all of them. So you you think they have 120 million just sitting in the bank 
and they're just like, oh, well, obviously I can afford this risk. Or do you think that they have like four million and they just have it all on the table? Because neither of those things are true. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's even you know some of the people. I think I think it might even it might almost uh, hurt some of the people, some of the biggest names in poker to know um, you know cash games or situations that how people have X percent of themselves or tournaments yeah. or get put in. Even some of the biggest stars and the biggest you know whatever. And that, that makes sense too about minimizing risk. And part of it is about appearance and and also you just don't want to risk everything and 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 you're in game. So that's a really good analogy how you're saying about it. Um, it's true business and otherwise, like most of the time, it's not just everyone. Uh, it's rare. It's almost, it's more rare to see guys like Bill Perkins or, you know, Bob Bright or other guys that just have a hundred percent himself or just like, you yeah. know, they're at a different point in their life and it's a different motive, different reason. And they can, and they're also not playing for a living, right? Like, right. Yeah. you know, the, maybe they don't have a hundred percent of themselves in well, their, yeah, let's say, let's take their business. Talk about their funds right. and stuff. They're not right. at a hundred percent. They're raising money. It's all scale relative perspective. And I think exactly. actually to your point and just sort of hit on again, I think almost it's funny because, um, Something I do want to ask you about because there is there is politics, whether it's private games, home games, the big game, you know, casinos, live games, apps, different things, right? Like mm-hmm. there's just politics. Like it's partly like, okay, you know this guy, or you're friends with that guy, or you can play with this guy. And I think some people look at it um like maliciously or negatively and say, Oh, like that guy's friends with this guy, or he's not genuine or whatever. It's just kind of like it's different, right? Some guys are in solver world and some guys are going to be the best in the world and they go that route. Some guys are more balanced and focus on other things and maybe whatever. So it's just funny to, it's easy for people to look at something from the outside and make a statement or a comment that, that has no backing information or understanding uh, and, and really just probably wish they were in that situation themselves and don't understand how you get that opportunity because you definitely hear comments and like you've mentioned about people talking about your backers or this or that or how it will assuming something it's really easy to make an assumption without the information i mean look the thing is in my experience uh people just want a good environment they don't want to feel like they're being filleted um you know there's been plenty of opportunities where true tellers gotten to play with us uh jason coon's gotten to play with us it's because like they understand how to navigate that world Right. Yeah. These guys are super studied. I'm super studied, but it's 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 about how you present it. Right. You know, you don't have to you don't have to choose the 300 percent pot bet size in a spot where, you know, it's most optimal when you could just choose 100 percent pot and kind of get the same result with a more palatable uh, execution from from your opposition. Right. Like if if the difference between Bob Bright wanting me in the game is me being allowed to bet 100% pot or 300% pot, I'll happily choose 100% pot every single time, right? And that's just like a, a really novel example, but that is truly what it's about, right? It's, it's understanding small little nuanced areas where you can sacrifice a little bit of EV on your own in order to ensure that you have the long-term EV of that seat. And then it's just about being a gentleman and, and being like competitive within the rules of, uh, you know, kind of a gentleman's agreement. Like, Playing in, in Ivy's room was like such a pleasant experience in the sense that we never had a floor operate one single or uh, I guess mediate one single debate, right? It was always just handled by the eight people playing in the game or the seven people playing in the game. Like, what did you mean to make it? Okay, make it that. We just trust that you're, you're not angling. Right. Because the idea that anybody would ever angle in that environment, it's almost like a home game that you've been playing with friends for years. You know, you just kind of like police yourself. 
And that's something that like just will never fly with people who are only concerned about maximizing their EV. I, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're saying the same thing. So I, I'm, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, it's very interesting. It's an interesting world. And I think that, um, you know, the apps and the private games and all this, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it's not always exactly fair, but it's, that's, you could say that to life. And I think poker is such a metaphor for life. And it's so many situations. Uh, what, what for you, um, to segue a bit about poker, what do you think, you use the most in everyday life, real world stuff for you. What do you find the most valuable lessons and, and tools you've gotten from poker? Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly, I think poker was just a substitute for baseball. They have so many corollaries between them and yeah. the the lessons that I've taken away from both that just resonate with me day in and day out. is just the, the failure, right? It's like, it, it's such a, a, it's a game that will just beat you to your knees. Yeah. And if you don't understand, like not just how to accept that, but also like how to, use that as, uh, I, I guess, a tool or uh, to your advantage, you're, you're ultimately just going to become the victim. And I, I think that that's like one of the beautiful things that like poker offers is it beats the victim mentality out of you if you want to be elite in any sort of way, shape or form. You just have to logic out re- uh, results and you have to understand that like those are kind of aside uh, to what all of the potential outcomes could have been and whether or not there was merit in the decisions that you're making. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, sports and just in general dealing with losing variance results oriented. I mean, there's so much luck and the combination uh, baseball, actually I could see how even more so than maybe soccer, or other sports, there's a lot of uh, where, where it could, it could come into play. Uh, what would you be doing if you weren't professionally poker playing or with solve for why? What, what is something else that you are passionate about that you think you could go into, let's say, few years from now if you decide to go a different route what, what would you like to do yeah uh i'm not sure how i'll transition but i am sure that i will transition um not fully i'll always play i think to some degree but yeah. you know even if i just look at the last 10 years of my career uh my my year or my uh hours per year have gone way down um you know 2010 i was probably playing like 1500 hours a year 2020 i might play like 400 hours this year so uh i'll definitely transition in some way shape or form i don't know to what necessarily i just know that i have a lot of opportunities and i've been lucky enough to network with a lot of people who believe in me um so i don't know if it'll be writing i don't know if it'll be speaking i don't know if it'll be finance i don't know if it'll be somehow all the way back to reverting to computer programming but um in some capacity i think i'll be doing something entrepreneurial and uh and uh yeah i mean i'll never leave poker behind i don't think yeah i'm I'm with you on that i I love it i think it'll always be a part of my life i don't know how or what but you know there's other things that are interesting it is it is it is sort of you look at eric seidel phil helmuth antonio phil some of these guys you know that have been around forever and there's not a lot right like negranu these guys that are sort of pillars but you know really in this day and age, it's not uncommon to see people sort of leave or, you know, if you look back at our, the people that have been around for fifth, I don't know how long it was, two, like 14, 15, 16 years. There's only, there's not that many. I mean, there's still, still a handful, but it's, uh, you kind of see people segue or get sort of other, other things that they're doing too. But um, yeah, it's a great game and, and it is, uh, it is fun. What, what about, uh, what, what's your look on your, are you 37, six? 38, yeah. 38. What's your look on outlook on on children uh, relationship status for all the ladies out there watching those? Are you are you available single dating? Where, where and then also kids? Give me the 
the, what's your look outlook on future of to have kids? Um, I'm open to everything. I would have said 10 years ago that it was a certainty I was going to get married and have kids. Now I'm just kind of like pretty indifferent. Uh, I think, you know, as you get older, it's just like you find ways to fill those relationships elsewhere. Like, you know, I, I have a nephew who's 21. So like I've kind of taken on the, I, I basically have raised him from in some capacity from, from when he was a kid. So it's like, I know what that father figure ish, uh, role is like, it's very fulfilling, but it's not something that I'm necessarily like forcing myself into either. Um, <laughs> Hanks's kids are up for adoption. So like, you know, I'll, I'll happily take, uh, take one of them on which one's not in diapers anymore. I think, <laughs> I think I'll, uh, I think I'll take him. Um, but yeah, What's I mean, 2020 hindsight exclusively on poker. Go. I don't think I've seen this. I've seen some stuff with you. What is that? There's, uh, it, it, it was a really fun project. Uh, it was a fun project I got to do with them. So we took, I think six main events of the past, like old, old, uh, pre 2010, um, actually, I think we did uh, Greggy's main event was the newest one and basically uh, took out the commentary and I rewatched it and gave like a more strategic analysis of of kind of like what was taking place. So like kind of like breaking down the game footage, sort of like Monday morning quarterbacking. That's cool. And you did that for six different main events, not necessarily yeah. in order, just chose six of the past from the last 15 years. Yeah. What was- what was the most, if you had to look back, so thinking on that, and I want to, so we got side railed here, but when I see Poker Central actually pop up in the chat, Hanks, your former, you know, you, you mentioned him as like one of the most pivotal moments of your career, that time period, I had to message him and get him in there. Um, you know, I, I uh, what was the most, was there anything shocking looking back at some of those main events? Do you think like, are you just like, wow, they were playing so bad or wow, this one who won the main event, he really orchestrated a performance of just absolute mastery. Like what, what's something yeah. that stands out good or bad? Uh, I think, I think the 2012 was one of the most impressive final tables that we saw with, uh, Greggy, J- uh, Jesse and, um, Jake. Wait, uh, wasn't it 12, uh, 12 when, when gold won? No, Jamie gold won in like, Oh, oh six or seven. yeah, six or seven, maybe. Oh, no, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really old. No, 12 was Greg Merson. Yeah. 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 Um, that was a really impressive final table to watch. Uh, yeah, like to the point, I think at yeah. one point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like the final table was so impressive that we were only able to do analysis on the final three because they played three handed for so long. Uh, but it was really skillful. It was, it was way ahead of its time to be quite frank. Uh, the shocking stuff is obviously like the old stuff. Like you go back and watch Dan Harrington make back-to-back final tables, just playing like an absolute lunatic. Uh, I think there was a point where like he three bet 60% of his stack with like 10, six off just cause wow. Wow. <laughs> it went like, uh, I, I think it was like REA opened King nine off as like second in chips. Raymer like called as chip leader with like ACE five suited and Harrington just like smashed in 15 blinds of like his 28 blind stack or something like that with 10, six off. Like they, they were just gangster back then, man. They didn't give a wow. shit. I, you know, I, they went after crazy about Dan Harrington. I did not, I don't remember that. Or, or I, I don't, I didn't know that he had that gear in him. You know, that's, that's I, think, not yeah. I think like back then that, you know, he was quote unquote action. Dan, everybody just knew him to be a knit. And like, when you were a knit, you just like found these random bluff spots. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's that. So okay, well, cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds that sounds fun for for multiple reasons to to see that that analysis and also kind of yeah get a get a glimpse back at what it looked like back then uh, at some of those those runs. Um, do you think 
let's finish back where we we're. Cause I interrupted you. I got and, and that. So we were just we were we were talking about f- family, kids. Uh, possibly you're saying maybe you'd adopt, but um, one of Hanks. But what about like seriously? Like you would like to have kids one day? Like that is something you still? I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I I've only had like two semi serious relationships ever, so it's not like as if it's something that's uh, right in front of me. Uh, I, I don't necessarily forecast it in any way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would totally be open to it. I grew up in a very traditional city uh, in Pittsburgh, so like it's not like it's out of the norm. All my friends are married. Uh, with kids, uh, I certainly am the oddball in that regard. Um, I guess, like, I can flip the script a little bit. You're a new father. What What do you, like, pre-marriage and kids versus now, like, how much of a difference has it made on your lifestyle? Yeah, it's 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 very different. Um, I, you know, for similar, like, again, doing content streaming, a lot of poker stuff, it's definitely uh, trickier. And there are certain, po- like, the first three, four months are extremely difficult, right? Because you're just so new and you're trying to figure everything out and everyone's tired and, and, and on, on edge, but, um, yeah, it gets a little bit easier. And, and I think, uh, I, I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything, but it's definitely shifts things. Right. So it's like the, and I, I know people with two, three, four kids, friends of mine that are, you know, my age or a few years older. And that, that like seems, you know, once you start getting multiple and play, then it to me seems really hard. Cause like, I just don't know how, you know, it, it just seems impossible, but I would say one's a good, a good starter and uh, see how you like it. But it, it the, definitely- the thing is, is that I feel like at the end of the day, the mom always takes the unfair workload. So it's yeah. almost like a question that is just like, I get to be indifferent to because uh, at yeah. the end of the day, like there's always this fail safe of whoever True. the mother is, assuming she's a great mother. She's just going to be like, look, I got this. Like, Go do your yeah. thing. Like, leave me alone. Oh, see, I mean, I guess that's where part of it, it's sort of like, it's like, oh, do I do one more podcast? Do I do one more stream? Do I do this? Or do I see that? But like, so in terms of that too, it's like, oh, well, I'm not really changing diapers so yeah. much. I'm not doing all the the stuff. Like, I'm, I mean, I have, I have a, a different philosophy on it too. I think it's like, assuming you're able to do it and you have help or nanny or different, you know, parents or whatever that can help. Um, you know, it's sort of like, would you rather be tired, stressed out, always with the kid? Or do you want to really like enjoy the kid? not be as tired, enjoy the time with them. So I don't know if it's the right or wrong. It's different experiences, yeah. but it's hard. It's so easy to judge. Bill Perkins was just on. I know you know Bill well and played with him in games and stuff and his outlook on stuff. But yeah, that's sort of what he talks about too. It's like, you know, it's so easy to judge. Your parents, the people say like, you should do this, you should do that. Uh, really, I think it teaches own and it's not really right or wrong. It's just uh, you're going to have different experiences um, on it. You know, and hopefully if you do have more kids, you get to maybe – different parts of your life you get to try or do a little different uh amount of um time but i don't know i i would i would say i recommend it if that's the question i would say i would yeah, yeah. realize it's uh yeah it's one of the things i that, mean judging uh, you know. from my experience with my nephew it's like age 7 to 17 was by far the the best window and not even close right, right. it's like from from diapers to 6 uh it's just really taxing i can remember being home from college for the summer and my nephew being like four years old and he's just yeah. like up at six 30 in the morning. It's like, right. dude, I just went to sleep like an hour ago. Can, yeah. can you please yeah. just like turn on the TV and chill? And like, he yeah. just had no chill in him. But like, you know, once he got to the point of playing sports and uh, he's a really thoughtful kid. So like yeah. the ability to like actually have adult conversations or, or, you know, adultish conversations, like you start talking about bigger things. It's, it's amazing. But yeah. at the same time, you know, it's a huge commitment. 
Well, and again, to speak, talking about Bill just had this book, Die With Zero, basically going over this exact concept that really mm-hmm. life is about pockets and phases. You know, when your kid's zero to four, that's that's a phase. Like you yep. get that time, it's over. And then yep. it's like, all right, now he's five to 10. And then all of a sudden, you know, Bill's got two daughters and you know, I know them very well. It's like, now they're teenagers. Now they don't want to hang out. Like 13, right. you know, 12, 13, 14 to 16 through high school. Like it's not like they're, you know, <laughs> you don't, and then all of a sudden they're in college and then they do that. And then the grandkids, it's just like, it's a, it's cycles. So it's yeah. like, you only get yeah. that pocket, that, that period one time. And, you know, you just have to kind of be, I think it's important to just be aware and, and make a choice. Like I, is you just want to know like what you, what you want to not just be missing it and blind. You want to say, okay, this is happening. I'm going to do this or that and realize like what that looks like. I think that's the, uh, I, I think that really nails it because I think often what happens, especially when we're not well equipped to uh, just have a roadmap, we yeah. just try to we just try to get through something, right? We just try mm-hmm. to suffer through it. So we're right. just like, okay, this phase will pass, rather than being like, hey, this phase is temporary. I yeah. need to get as much out of it as yeah. I possibly I want to give I want to give my son a bath. I want to read the book to him at night. I want to wake up with them. You know, like I'll fix my schedule so I can spend these two hours because this way, you know, if you just start like going through a day or whatever and then start like all of a sudden a month passes or two months pass and then they're talking, then they're walking, then they're doing this. And then you're like, oh, I missed some of that. So, yeah, it's all uh, – B. Hanks has two. He can tell us about it. He knows the phases more. He's further along. Um, but two seems like the max, I think, for me. But I don't know. I, I, I yeah. just don't know. I mean, I just don't. The people that have four, five, six kids. I just don't get it. You know, I just actually don't get how they can do, like, be productive. Or, I imagine or they have a tremendous amount of help, be it grandparents or right. otherwise. Thing, even at some point, it's like, you know, you're not going to your all your kids' uh, baseball games or, or – or, uh, Mm-hmm. rehearsals or recitals like at some point you're just missing a lot of stuff right like yeah. you're just not really able to be everywhere at once but yeah um all right well let's uh let's talk about some some we've talked about some of the biggest cash games is biggest give me the biggest cash game pot you've won and lost just to give people a perspective on the the size of uh play that you are you are in biggest pot i've ever won uh i've won a lot of pots over a million. I think the biggest pot I ever won was like 1.6, um, where I set over set Marcus. Uh, biggest pot I ever lost was I never lost a million dollar pot. Shockingly, um, there you go. So that's that sounds like all of a sudden you can tell that the results must be pretty good because if you no not yeah. over, <laughs> I haven't lost a million ever, but won multiple million. So that's a good yeah. that line. Uh, I've lost very close to million dollar pots though. Uh, the one that sticks out the most, I lost a simple where I got in on the turn with a set of Kings on uh, King Jack for queen with the King queen of spades. And he had Jack 10 of spades. And I was like, you want to run it once or twice? He's like, I have a really good hand. I go, me too. And I made the mistake of turning it over and he had mm-hmm. Jack 10 of spades. And he goes, uh, my hand's not so good anymore. Let's run it once. I'm like, oh man, come on! Like this is a really big pot, but he doesn't care, you know. He's just there for the pain. I was like, all right, one time, Ace of Spades right on the river for a royal. Now all of a sudden, he's like standing oh, up, taking pictures, right, yeah. asking for a bonus. Thinks he gets yeah. more, or like he wants the table. Maybe maybe there was a bonus. Some of these games for royals are quite uh, a few, 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 uh, thing, but um, yeah. so you played some. And what about uh, what about biggest tournaments? Because um, we do look here, the Hen and Mob, you had that 1.1 million score. You played the 300K Super yeah. High Roller Bowl. I think you've played some other 
large. Is that the biggest buy in tournament or you played the 500 or one mil before? No, I, I played the 300 twice, uh, cashed it once. Um, and then I played the hundred K WSOP once, but, uh, I really haven't played that many high rollers. Um, I've been really fortunate in them. I think I've played like maybe five 25 Ks and I think I've cashed three, uh, winning one. Um, yeah, not, nothing like too crazy. I have the 1.1 million score. I have like maybe six or seven, uh, 300 K scores. Um, but yeah, I, tournaments just have never really, they've, they've always been like a side hustle to me. It's like, I feel like as a professional poker player, your job is to chase high EV spots and MTTs kind of provide that, uh, especially like open field ones or big guarantees. But uh, my volume has always been in cash. And do, do you, is it more exciting to you? Cause I mean, listen, the, the hen and mob type stuff, like getting, getting some results. It's, it's like how you kind of get known in a way. Cause a lot, you know, you're winning, let's say you win a million dollar pot. It's Aria, you know, you're looking at bottom line, but in terms of yeah. notoriety, in terms of records and all that. So, you know, both things are very different, but for you, what's more exciting that $1.1 million tournament score when you were there uh, or Let's just say, let's take it to the turn. You're playing a million dollar pot on the turn or in the cart before you know you're going to win or lose. What's more exciting or being final table at 300K where you could win, you know, even a, the super high roller bowl champion, prestigious tournament. What gets your blood flowing more? I mean, they're both very different, right? Like uh, there's nothing replicable to going super deep in an event where first place is large. Um, I would say that that's more stressful because yeah. I feel so handcuffed, right? The strategies are so different where mm-hmm. you just have to be really precise with push fold, you have to understand the ICM of the spot really well. And you, you know, you're not really uh, afforded the ability to kind of like show showcase, like what your knowledge is uh, in a technical poker sense. Right. But in uh, a tournament sense, obviously you can put all that stuff on display in cash. It's like the reins are off, right? You just get the color outside the lines, especially when you start getting deep 200, 300, 400 big blinds deep. Um, you know, I, I think that like, that's like some of the most masterful stuff that takes place. And, uh, it's, it's probably the thing that's lost most on the community because the vast majority of those out there professing how the game should be played and, uh, putting it on display are either in super high roller environments where it's kind of a kind environment. Everybody's playing a comparable strategy and nobody's really willing to step outside the lines all that much. There are a few, but not many. Um, or uh, there are these high stakes televised cash games where it's again, six or seven players that are playing pretty identically and then one or two VIPs. Um, you know, in a lot of the games that I've played, be it 1020 uh, at Bellagio or uh, the big game at Ivy's room, whatever the case may be, it's like, I can remember a lot of thousand big blind pots where that I've won with like one pair. And that's just street poker in its fullest. You know, that that's unacceptable according to theory but you have to know where those spots are available, right? Because like, yeah. if you don't, then you're just leaving a ton of money on the table, right? If, if, if you choose not to play a thousand big blind pot with one pair where, you know, a guy's ripe to go off with one pair less kicker or, uh, you know, some wild bluff that he fabricated out of thin air. It's like, if you aren't in tune to that, then you're missing a lot of the EV of the spot that's actually being presented to you. And in live where it's so slow, it's critical to capitalize on those situations. Like that's going to make or break your bottom line for the year. Maybe. 
Yeah, it's true. It's and I mean the variance in tournaments. It's so wild because like some of these hands, some of these spots where you know you're just it comes down to it, just like your whole year winning a flip or what whatnot. Whereas cash game, you're sort of in there and you're going to be in a, like high 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 equity spots frequently, where mm-hmm. um, you have opportunities. Whereas tournaments, it can really uh, you know some of the, it's crazy because some of the best players in the world that we consider maybe you know they didn't want a flip or two or a couple couple runs they get on a heater and it could be very different so it's uh it, i mean it, there's survivorship bias for literally every single one of us that have made a career out of this yeah right for every one of us that's lasted 17 18 years there's a hundred others who fell by the wayside because a flip didn't go their way or they weren't good at one thing or the other yeah, and maybe that's compounded into other things or whatnot. Maybe they ended up going, you know, instead of, uh, yeah, they headed the blackjack wheel with the rest of the role because they lost a flip in a tournament or, you know, who knows, right? But it's like it's definitely extreme or not. There are a lot of examples like that where it's just hard to say. That's a, that's yeah. interesting. I never heard it worded like that, the survivor um, bias. But, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's essentially essentially true. Who, who are some of the players you look up to um, or you just think that are do do the right things that like you respect their game, respect how they carry themselves. Who are some of the guys you know that uh, you just really think in the in the poker world right now are doing a great job for for the community and just in general how they 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 conduct themselves? Is there any guys that you really look up to or think that are you say wow you know they they're all rounded, well rounded? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I obviously look for things that are far beyond poker talent. Like I, yeah. I just don't care how big of a winner you are. Uh, it's much more important to me, like what you offer to the game and who you are as a person. So I think guys like Jason Kuhn, uh, are great ambassadors. I think guys like Galfond, obviously, yeah. uh, are, are layup choices. Uh, these are the people that I think should be modeled after. Um, and you know, like Jason's the most competitive guy I've literally ever met in my entire life, but in the same breath, I can tell you that he understands situations where he needs to exchange a little bit of EV for the sake of the game. And that's something that I think is just lost on so, so much of the community. So uh, I, I think that, you know, modeling yourself after somebody who works their ass off, who is in the lab more than anyone else I know and is hyper competitive, but at the same time has the soft skills to know how to navigate a live environment, to get the, the VIP seats and get into the games that other people just can't get into. And then also be willing to battle with anybody on earth. Like that, that's, really the 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 mold that uh you want to cut people from um and i just think that like the vast majority of the other killers out there are lacking a lot of those soft skills yeah i'd uh it makes makes a lot of a lot of sense um where do you where do you see poker going you said you're worried about online do you think on do you think live is just for our lifetime like is, is live poker just safe because of the things you mentioned earlier will there always be wpts and WSOP, yeah. and do you think this is just like this will just not change no matter uh, what? I mean, I think rake could ultimately cripple the ecosystem if operators get selfish. Um, I think that the privatizing of uh, you know public games could potentially be harmful to live, but both of those things only become detrimental when they occur at the uh, low to mid stakes level. Um, so like right now, for example, one, two is such a rake trap that most people will never graduate out of it. Uh, the way that that is being fixed in some regard, I guess, is a lot of these club games where though they're taking a higher rake, uh, they are also offering a game that is such high action. It's able to beat or to be beaten. 
right? So like if you could play in a one-two game in Texas where uh, you can win or lose three or 4,000 in a session, uh, it's not really a one-two game any longer and the uh, rake is less of a trap. Uh, I think the same holds true for like large field MTTs uh, and everything in between. So long as those things remain public and the rake remains beatable in some regard, uh, I think live is very safe. I think the second that like 10, 20, no limit goes private, uh, we have a big problem because now you're forcing a lot more of the pool back into those rake traps, right? Yeah. Like for everybody who can't get into the private 10, 20 game, they can beat 10, 20. They now start playing public five ten, and they start eating up the people that should just be five ten regs who are now forced to move down to two five. And now mm-hmm. they start eating up the two five regs who are now forced down into one, two. And now they're the only people beating the rake at one, two, just absolutely collapsing the ecosystem from the bottom up. Right. Very interesting. And I saw today some GG controversy about kicking out winners. I, I saw some graph. I don't know if that was real or a, 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 a mock, like a, a spoof or what do you call it? A meme like about, you know, pot ripper possible. Yeah. This guy, GG. I don't know if that was actually like the graph where he stood or whatever, but they were saying, I saw Fedor got involved and, and was making a reply and sort of, so I didn't really follow what was happening, but it seemed like that was the the understand they were saying like winners they were they were at, like a winner was not allowed to play it wasn't he was cheating necessarily or whatever they just said like we're not letting winners do you do you have any knowledge on that or what what's sort of going on there I, just- I only know probably what you know just basically what's been outed on Twitter but uh, from my understanding GG holds the uh, ability as a private company to basically turn away any customer that they like and uh, the Dottie account effectively broke TOCs by being banned once on a different skin and then coming back later. The real controversy is just that they allowed him to play and generate rake for like, you know, eight months or something like that before ultimately banning him. Um, I think they did give him back his initial deposit though. So uh, I, you know, it's really tough to say. It sounds like he broke about even in the whole ordeal. And um, I think that GG may have the right thoughts uh without executing properly like they're not transparent enough in their execution uh we need to know if this guy was a cheater or if he just won an exorbitant amount was he bum hunting was he doing like things that are egregious like where's the line drawn because uh you know for people who are upstart that are coming to your site they don't want to they don't want to tether that line right they don't they don't want to jump over the line they don't want to get to a point where they can potentially get banned and it's just kind of bad customer interaction. It's weird though. Cause I was just thinking about it too. And I saw Ben CB and some others chimed in and people were saying, this is outrageous. You know, we gain, it's a game of skill. You try to beat the game. Winners are allowed this and that. But then, I mean, I was thinking about like, yeah, it looks bad or, you know, for press, but I was thinking like if I'm like a fish or a rec player or, you know, someone who's not whatever, I'd be like, Oh, that's interesting. Like actually this site is not letting people win too much. Like they might almost like work in their favor, right? Like yeah. people are kind of like, oh, well, that's that's the point, right? And yeah. it's kind yeah. of like goes all the way back to the Negroni thing. Like, yeah, we all got a big laugh out of the more rake is better narrative yeah. that Doug kind of pushed for the better part of two or three years. Yeah, yeah, he really heard that. Yeah, but it's just like Negroni just like wasn't careful with his choice of words, but what he was saying was actually relatively true. When the rake is so high that pros think that they can't beat it, they disappear. And sure, the ultimate winner is the house because they're raking so much, but the amateurs feel like they're in a much more competitive landscape. Um, So it's no different than home games, right? Like a lot of home games and underground games are raked really, really high. And most pros won't touch it with a 10 foot pole 
due to the fear of being cheated or being overraked or whatever the case may be to the point where they can't beat it. But a lot of the wrecks go there and they enjoy it. They, they have their night out. They lose a lot less than they would otherwise. Um, you know, a lot of these places offer some sort of like, you know, rake back in some sort of capacity. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, they just have good operating procedures as, as a house. Wait, or exactly. Or the game is not with pros and it's like, all right. So they feel like they literally could, they can win. Yeah. And also there, there's, there's credit involved in a lot of these exactly. situations. There's slow pain, there's guaranteeing of money. So there's like, you know, I, I know a lot of game runners. I've done games. Like I've had, you know, I've hosted games. I understand the the ecology and the the thing, and it's always not so clear cut. You know, I'd say there's a right. lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes on. It's not just uh, it's not just like oh, this is that. There's yeah, there's and that. hey, it's shitty for pros, right? right? It's shitty for pros. Like there's no yeah. getting around it. The people that you're feeding off of are now excluding you, and uh, you're being charged an exorbitant tax if you want to play with them. That's shitty, right? But at the same time it all goes back to the beginning of this conversation of like, what do you offer in exchange? You can't just be a rake va- or an EV vacuum. You can't just be the guy who shows up to suck up all the EV, right? There, there has to be some sort of give and take. Value proposition. There's got to be some sort of exactly exchange. So yeah, it's interesting. It's a very interesting situation. I think we're at an interesting time in poker. What are your thoughts? You know, Black Friday, 2011, April 15th, tax day, crazy, crazy stuff, turns the world on its head. People move out of the country poker sort of dead in the u.s everything's a mess um and here we are i mean i'm shocked it's 2020 and this isn't sorted out right yeah i would i think and mike sexton alluded to the fact full tilt ruined it for everyone in a way like that like he's sort of saying they caused the problem how it was handled you know it was a mess which in in turn though i kind of think well that and that's all the more reason it should be regulated it should be taxed it should be open and, and maybe it would work but what are your thoughts on it do you think we will will california be legal uh is is poker going to be interstate um in the next few years or are we just sort of uh out of luck for the next for forever because like follow it, the it, money man like yeah. you know it's it's business it's crazy yeah. to try to point fingers point fingers at anybody to to say some operator screwed the pooch for everybody else or anything the, the government could be making money off of this and are choosing not to. Why? They're making more money off the lobbyists, right? Like it, it's, it's cut and dry. You just follow the money trail. There's a simple reason why we don't have online poker nationwide. Largely, it's funded by Adelson. Uh, and it's going to be that way um, for a while until like, you know, his camp decides that uh, online gaming isn't that big of a deal. And to be completely frank, the issue is, is that poker gets tied in with casino, right? We need to segregate that if we ever want to have anything move forward because Adelson's uh, argument that online gaming as a whole is a net negative is probably founded in logic, right? If you put, if you put house games online that you can play at mass scale where the house is just printing 1% to 3% every single time you press a button, uh, that is just absolute disaster for all of the clientele, right? The, the beauty about a casino, why they can exist, is because they ruin lives very slowly. It's, it's very difficult to get in a massive volume of bets uh, where the house is taking 1% to 3% to the point where like, the variance actually plays a big part in um, choosing the winners, right? So like not that many lives are ruined by driving to the casino day in and day out with a gambling problem. But when you can get in 100x the volume in a moment's notice online anytime you have the whim, it's pretty easy yeah. to dust off a paycheck or a life savings. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. There's no governor either. Like at least at the casino, they see you're drunk. They sort yeah. of have, there's an obligation or there's some, there's cameras, there's like a trail, whereas online you're at your home and um, yeah, depending what the site's parameters yeah, it's are. It's not social. You're not getting any kickbacks. Like it's literally just a, 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 a money trap, right? It's like, Hey, every single time you sit down on our client, we're going to take 1% of your money until you're exhausted. So like from that element, like I'm very uh, anti online casinos, but I'm obviously super pro online poker. It's a skill game. It's totally different. And the fact that we haven't separated the two yet is problematic. Also the fact that DFS isn't nationwide yet, you know, we'll never ever get online poker nationwide prior to DFS. True. Yeah, true. I mean, DFS, DFS is pretty close. So I think at least, I think there's only five States for some of the stuff. Maybe it's 11 or 12 on, Mm -hmm. on like DFS, but I think, I think it's down to five. Um, and, and, but are they regulated or are they just like not being persecuted? I believe it's regulated. I think there was some sort of decision like the New York. There was a whole thing in New York, New Jersey. I know New York, Boston, I think uh, are yeah. definitely regulated. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's complicated, but I, I, I'm just I'm surprised. I would have thought it would be by now. But I, you do see Michigan passed um, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. I think, uh, Pennsylvania. Those are, I mean, those are Michigan, Pennsylvania are pretty significant. So we'll see maybe Illinois, New York. And um, yeah, just kind of one of those things. It's sort of, it's all about right place, right time. You know, for you and I, like we said, who knows, are we playing poker in 10 years or to this, to this uh, extent or doing con- playing? It's like, you know, if, if it becomes legal in 15 years across all the States, who knows? And maybe it's already too late for online poker at that point. Um, yeah. Anyway, kind of, kind of tricky. Um, tell me, uh, Tell me some upcoming, uh, how this works exactly, I guess, for, for Salt for Why. So you guys do live courses. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we go, guys, you get, I want to remind you, you do have a chance to ask questions. If you want to go over to Twitter, we're going to give away a ticket uh, eligible. If you ask a question, you're, you're going to be entered and just follow the instructions there. But we'll do a couple, couple more from our end and then let, let, we'll dive into the, the streets of Twitter. What about Salt for Why? Someone's at home. They're like, I'm interested. I see all these courses. What is Salt for Why different than a Razor Edge, an Upswing, a Masterclass, these other ones? What do you do differently? And is it a live or online or both component? Give me the Salt for Why rundown. Yeah, so it's both. Uh, I, I would say the major difference is that our main objective is root cause analysis. So uh, Salt for Why TV, our training site, is uh, a lot of first principle type knowledge. Um so in other words, we're scaling things back to the first principles of game theory, be it pot odds or uh, range construction or, you know, uh, the, the, the fundamental level or layer necessary in order to actually develop a strategy. And then that's just our main objective is helping to develop practical strategies that can be implemented in real time. Um, the live element of it is the academy where we allow 18 people to come in. Uh, We do a three-day training. Um, Half the day is just a theory discussion. The other half is the students playing on RFID tables where uh, Christian and I are watching the gameplay, doing commentary over it, pointing out leaks, pointing out potential strategic errors. Uh, And that's basically the game footage that the students will have to take home and study indefinitely moving forward. Is is that is that game footage? Are you setting hand situations, seeing how they they respond? Or are you just dealing out cards and then let and then interject? Yeah, them? We're, we're just dealing out cards and letting it play out as it may. Um, and, and I get that, like people will say, like, oh, well, that's unfair. If I get a bad distribution, then you're not going to get to see very much of uh, my strategic errors. And it's like, yeah, maybe that's true to some degree, but uh, over three days, we get to we get to know these students pretty well. 
So like I have a pretty good feel for like what their flaws are strategically or the way that they think already and can kind of point that out uh, in other individuals at the table. Um, so largely like it's not just a matter of seeing yourself play and seeing the mistakes that you make on camera, but also like seeing the entire uh, game develop around you and recognize like comparable mistakes that are either happening in your environment that you could take advantage of or mistakes that you're potentially making on your own. Um, so I think it's a good training metric in that regard. Um, during COVID, we did a 30-day course called Homeschool, where every day for 30 days, uh, we just basically taught a lesson. Uh, it was very similar. It was set up similarly to a college curriculum. So uh, we would do um, every other day was a lesson, and then every other day was a lab. The lab was just basically um, taking the, the fundamental principle that we studied in the lesson previously and uh, demonstrating it through solver work. So if we were looking at pot odds or we were looking at range construction or we were looking at um, you know exploits or anything in between, we would then have some examples that we would run through the solve. We would tweak some parameters, demonstrate how the EVs would shift uh, and, and just kind of give people comprehensive understanding of where high level strategies develop from and how you can actually distill it down into something practical to implement in your own environment. And that's that's awesome. And what what is the cost on that for people to come into these these courses? What is it to get into solve for why? What what's like the you know the uh, the most the most advanced or someone who wants to say yeah. hey, I want to try it or do something? What are the different options? Yeah, yeah. So the cheapest version is solve for YTV right now. It's nine ninety nine a month. Um, super affordable, obviously. And what we're with that. that? Uh, that's our entire back catalog of uh, training. So I think there's like 500 hours on there. There's uh, four seasons of Poker Out Loud. Um, there's, I think, like 20 courses maybe, uh, give or take. Actually, it might be more. Um, and then there's a monthly mastermind that takes place uh, every month. Uh, so moving forward, we've been releasing content every Saturday, uh, which includes um, – a course that Christian's been working on as well as a monthly mastermind and uh, follow-up office hours. Um, the uh, more expensive stuff, the Academy, which is just on hold until COVID ends. Uh, we can't really do uh, that's 3,500 for three days and then homeschool, which we ran twice. I'm not sure if we're going to do it again or not. Um, we had a lot of interest. We ended up getting 150 people between the two uh, sessions that we ran, but I'm not sure if uh, it makes sense, it, it's just such a big ask for us, right? Like to spend 30 days teaching. Uh, we basically have to set a month aside as a collective group and uh, have these lessons ready to, to run. But if we do it again, um, it was 2000 for new attendees and 500 for repeat attendees. Um, so that's the other thing that we always do. Like anybody who comes to the academy or takes a course, we always give them the ability to come back. And, and what has been uh, for you, the, do you think that this, this type of learning, have you seen significant results? Like when you see people come in and they like, what, what is that? If someone wants to come in, what's like, is it literally someone who doesn't know the rules or would you, is it, are they supposed to have sort of an understanding of like what, what the, they need to know what a big blind is. They know what position. Yeah. That's uh, no, I would, I would go further than that. So we, we screen all of our applicants. Uh, we give them a basic, um, I guess it's like a 10 part questionnaire. Uh, trying to get a feel for like where they're at in their strategy development. I would say that the, the baseline for uh, barrier of entry is 
um, somebody who's been playing and has experience, but has like hit a dead end in their strategy development or are at a point where they don't know how to study. Um, so a lot of it is, uh, you know, it's immersive training, but the vast majority of it is just giving people a blueprint on how to study moving forward. Very cool. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It sounds, uh, I, again, I've seen this, I've been there. I've seen the setup. It definitely feels very, very warm and inviting. And it's very, you know, it seems like a very custom setup for, for poker conducive to learning and you guys have a good team in place, a, a great team. It's uh, it's very cool. So when, do you have any idea when that might be back or literally just going to play COVID by a year? Just, I mean, do you say like, oh, 2021 or if yeah. stuff opens back up? Because what, what is going on in Las Vegas right now? What is Vegas is bumping, guys, man. Uh, is, we we are spreading the virus. You guys out, are out here in Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the casinos are open. The games are flowing and soft. Uh, it's crazy. Like, um, you know, there's is a lot. Are they doing the plexiglass stuff now or is that? Yeah. That's yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But there's a lot of like 510 and 1020 running around town and it's mostly wrecks. Like for whatever reason, the people who have the biggest urge to gamble are the non-professionals, which is, uh, I guess, good if you feel like getting out there and taking a shot. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of hanging back and, and just just staying in the online streets for now. Um, as far as us, like, yeah, our target is Q1 of 2021. I just don't see anything changing between now and then. Um, and we have a big uh, wait list for academies. Like I said, we already canceled two that were sold out. Uh, we were supposed to run three more this year. So uh, there's, a, there's a full inbox of applicants that we're going to have to sift through. We'll probably just like end up doing like uh, once things are safe again, we'll probably just dedicate like an entire month to just running back to back to back to back academies. And uh, is that is that? Are you on all of these? Are you on the yep. uh, the? Are you hand? Have you how many total of these eighteen person ha- courses have you done? Have you guys done? You do it like once a month? Is it is it set schedule non COVID times? Uh, we've been doing seven a year for the last four years, with the exception of so I guess the last three and a half years since we only did two this year. Um, so yeah, I think I've done twenty three or twenty four. Uh, of these total. Um, and honestly, like they're, they're great. They're, they're so fulfilling uh, in the ability to communicate something that's like very complicated uh, to an array of people, right? We have everything from like engineers to professionals to, um, you know, people who are just trying to make supplementary income uh, through, through poker and people are intelligent. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of poker is it, it, it draws in intellectual people. So I don't have to dumb anything down in my language. I don't have to dumb anything down as far as like nuance goes. Uh, the, the real challenge is just communicating it in a way that it doesn't feel so overwhelming that they just don't want to go forward. And for some, that's ultimately the takeaway, right? Like, you know, we've had, I don't know, something like 200 people come through the academy and I would say like 10% just walk away and say like, okay, like maybe poker isn't necessarily for me. And I think that's a win, right? Like it, not saying that that's it's our ultimate clarity. goal. It's clarity or right. it gets them to, to realize what it takes or what maybe they, they're like, oh, wow, like I wasn't thinking like this and I don't want to think like this. Or, exactly. this is or, exactly. or like, yeah, or they take it the other way and it, this is fun, this is great and I can really utilize this to my advantage and, and do well against the others. So yeah, right. I think... 
That's very cool. Well, let's. Uh, we've we've been going for a while. I definitely want to get some Twitter questions and 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 uh, get a lot of these. Actually, we've either covered or I actually am curious about myself. Uh, let's just kind of kick in. Is there anything you want to say? Is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, we've we've covered a lot. We've uh, you know you you mentioned the state of Vegas and COVID. Uh, what what? So in terms of you, are you like ordering food then mostly? Are you going out getting stuff? Are you have you been outside? I just you just. Yeah, I, I just cook. Um, I I get out. I play pickleball three four night three four nights a week. Um, this in America, That's bro, it is game. so much fun. That's a fun game for Man, sure. I'm telling you, like 38, you're like in your prime. So it's, it's just a good like, game. It's yeah, a good it's game like I have 20 more years of this for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to start playing basketball again, but they haven't put the hoops back up uh, uh, publicly. And gyms are kind of like sketch. Some are open, some are closed. Uh, mm. It's not really a place I want to be, but. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing like uh, I just started training again uh, with my trainer, but you know, it's a very small, intimate gym, so like I'm not really worried about that. Uh, I get out a little bit, like I said, playing pickleball, but mostly it's just you know staying in and doing my due diligence to to not be a carrier, I guess. Right. That makes makes sense. And now that so WSOP is over uh for the for the in the u.s version um mm-hmm. you know, gg has wsop party poker scott wpt do you have accounts set up for out of yeah. the country that's what would you consider are you going to take a trip are you going to go somewhere and play anything they got the some major stuff coming up on both those sites uh what's your take on that is that yeah uh, tentatively i am booked to go to tulum uh august 28th to the 8th tentatively mm-hmm. um i'm I'm on the fence. Uh, I'm I'm leaning towards going, and if I go, I'll stream. But have you uh, been to Tulum? Do you know no. Do you know about Tulum? No. Okay. No. Well, I, I've gone there. That was actually, you know, I that's on one of my favorite places to go. List. I will say the internet in that particular area. You may end up in Playa del Carmen nearby Tulum. There is a place that I know that has good internet, and it's not right on the beach, but it's it's very close, and it's it's pretty nice. They got a nice gym, nice workout, really nice, and I I could. Uh, send you that that info but i don't know where yeah. you're playing on staying, but I, I think you'd have a hard time streaming most areas of tulum but there is okay. one place i do know of um that that works but uh that that's definitely a good area to yeah that'd of, be great if you could if you could uh send anything over my way um yeah, yeah i guess i didn't really even think about the internet issue i just kind of assumed that all resorts would be mm. pretty good Tulum, I, I I spent a decent chunk there doing it, and it was a real production, and and finally found a place that was good, and I think it's where you'd want to go. But um, I, I it's probably better now anyway. But uh, yeah, Tulum yeah. is magical, man. You're whatever. Even if it worst case, you're there and you get to play online, but not stream as much or something. Sure. It's not the end of the world. But obviously, playing some of those marquee events, it's nice yeah. to uh, flick a stream on. Even those at those ones, you can really one or two table anyway, and and. Yeah, play yeah. It's, it's fun yeah i mean you're playing such high stakes at that point like i'm not going to be trying to mass multi-table yeah yeah it's uh, it's tricky though on some sundays like you start looking at multiple sites and you're like oh well, there's this that that how do i pit, pass this guarantee and this is overlaying especially and- when i'm used to playing like 100k guarantee and then suddenly like i have three or four sites up it's like oh there's yeah. many 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 half million guarantees or more yeah, yeah it's it's different. Uh, all right, let's dive in here to some of these these questions. Right off the bat, we've got uh, Ghost of M, the man, asking about the Postle situation uh, and if he thinks there is a path to resolve the issues that came up as a result of the scandal. Uh, do you is there any? Do you have any? Have you followed this at all? I mean, this actually yeah. falls in the content side, right? There's a there's yeah. streams and you, you you've been a part of streams and gaming. What do you what do you think on this whole thing? Just give me a 
So uh, it's, it's a deep subject. Give me like just a kind of overall view yeah, on that. It's, it's a really shitty lack of resolution. Uh, basically, the way California law works out is the courts have zero interest in handling any sort of gambling disputes. So um, effectively, it just puts people in a position where it's buyer beware anytime that you're playing poker in California. And yeah. that shitty, that's going to let Paso off the hook if he was in fact cheating. We'll never get to the bottom of it unless like the sleuths out there care to. Uh, and there won't ever be any restitution, even if we do prove that he's a cheater. Um, the courts just don't care and won't back it. So that sucks. And on top of that, there's nobody policing the streams. So be it live at the bike or if Stones returns, um, these are just janky setups that are very comparable to what I have at self Academy uh, with almost no security, very minimal security, very easy to... Uh, to uh i guess like break down if you're looking to cheat it um and, or compromise and oh, wow. you, you would put live at the bike in that that uh that category yeah. for really uh, they use the exact same software i use it, and it's not built for an industrial stream it's very versatile uh meant for like home streaming uses so there are just infinite backdoors that can be easily compromised if you want to cheat the streams Oh, that's that's uh, and they don't follow they don't follow like Nevada gaming protocol right like they don't have a locked uh, room where the production is they don't have uh, any security measures preventing um, you know workers or players or anybody who could potentially compromise the um, the, the the stream from yeah. entering these areas you know they don't segregate their commentary and uh, a lot of other issues that are at play do you um do you feel that you have been at risk or like well i mean you're basically saying there is some risk of course in general in this scenario but do you do you have any suspicion or thoughts that maybe that happened to you at any point in any game you've played or, or not does that not really i mean just based on somehow some feeling or gut or some random hand or yeah. some- uh, i've had people reach out to me like well-named people that were kind of leery of a hand played here or there uh that seemed pretty fishy uh i kind of like don't want to go down that path I, i'd be yeah. terrified to like unearth something that just made me be like oh god yeah no, no, I'm, not even, I'm not looking for i'm just curious like that, that's the first i've ever heard mention about that possibility or that understanding but i think it, you know to this question here posed by marco ghost of m asking about it it's a it's it's concerning because when you are talking about real money and real games and people playing and, and this type of stuff there's such a bad look so negative for poker in the whole situation the fact there's no resolution no clarity right also bad so it's good to know you know i guess that's more of a, a notice to people if you're going to play and be in this you got to realize that that is a if it's not nevada or new jersey there's just no governing body and the requirements to set up a stream are just like very very minimal okay well um and and do you think possible so is he is that is that done is he like that court or that that whole situation that's basically what where it's at there's no there's not yeah. going to be any further I think they settled for like a very nominal amount of money, a very small amount. Oh, but he did settle basically saying. Uh, I think, I, no, I think Stone settled. I think Possel uh, was just like acquitted. Interesting. They okay. basically like threw it out of court. Like they weren't interested in hearing any arguments because they don't handle gam- gambling. Exactly. Uh, I was thinking about it. It's actually kind of backwards too because you're basically going in there. Like here we are as a country or as a, as a, as a group of poker saying poker is a skill game. Like the people can skill and win, and now here's a guy who's doing that, and obviously it's ridiculous, and I, you know, whatever. It turns out what you believe or I believe, but it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious, in my opinion, what happened. Um, yep. 
the the point is it's like now you're going to court and saying well it is like this is too impossible because it's so it's kind of like weird too it's like wait you're well they just already had a precedent set where it's just like we as california court will not entertain anything that has to do with gambling be it debts be it uh cheating or anything of the like because that's just not our jurisdiction like these are all on um they all fall under like other realms be it uh indian casinos or just card rooms like commerce and and the biker set up under and they just already had that precedent set where it's just like we're not going to be the mediator interesting okay i did not i did not realize that was how that went down so that's interesting um uh what are your thoughts on bitcoin i guess cryptocurrency in general poker always curious what people are, are thinking i mean bitcoin's sort of back in the uh people's threads it's 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 popping a bit what do you like cryptocurrency are you a believer i like bitcoin um yeah i I mean i i think that the the technology has a lot of uh it has a bright future in my opinion um i think that we probably know very little right now and i think that you know it's just as outlandish to say that Bitcoin is going to be worth zero as it is to say that it's going to be worth a million dollars a coin someday. So I I think, you know, the truth probably lies somewhere in between. I think we're all going to ride this ride together. I think that it's no shock that the poker community is all in on something like this. Uh, It's technologically driven. Um, It kind of solves a lot of potential problems in the future. Uh, but you know, maybe Bitcoin isn't the iteration that, that, uh, ultimately becomes the favorable one when it's all said and done, right? Maybe it's a derivative thereof. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. And I, and I think to your point about Bitcoin could be a million or could be zero. If you look at it, say call it 10 K, even though it's 11 and change, let's just say 10 K that scenario where it goes to zero versus goes to a million, the upside's, uh, pretty significant, right? So it's sort of, uh, yeah, not a bad place to make a, a, a bet of some sort. Right. Um, Jimmy Bluff in the chat. How's it going, Dennis J. Sanchez? Good to see you guys. Hope you're in on the, the travel. or No, someone's asking about travel. Hope you're on the Twitter questions and a chance to win the ticket. We are going through some of these now. We won't get to all of them. There's a lot. Appreciate the engagement. We're going to take a, take some more, though. Um, what about traveling? Someone asking, do you travel? Do you like traveling? Are you sort of, do you find yourself now that you got solved for why it's academy? You got, look at the beautiful office background. You're kind of in a Zen place and doing what you love. Do you, do you like traveling? Does that, does that excite you to go to a stop and, and play some cash games? Or do you like just a home, more of a homebody now? Uh, before, before COVID. Yeah. I've, I've never, I've never been a massive travel buff. Uh, I enjoy going places for vacation. But, like, I'm not a sightseer. I don't give a shit. Like, going to see the Eiffel Tower versus, like, just being in a cabin in the woods somewhere in the middle of Montana, uh, both are fine. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I I don't know. I'm just not, like, blown away by things that I can see in pictures. Uh, The the actual personal experience to me, it's more about the people that I'm with than it is the the sights or, or the sounds or anything along those lines. Nothing, like, wows me, I guess from that perspective. And maybe that's a, a bit of a jaded uh, old timer type of uh, perspective, but um, you know, the world just got very small with technology. So mm. it's like, I don't need to go to Egypt to see the pyramids. And and if I do, I'm going to kind of just be hot and be like, Oh, pyramids. Cool. Yeah. Um, to me, it's more interesting to study the pyramids and the history and how they became to be and, and things like that. But uh, I do enjoy getting away. Like I'm tired of being cooped up. That's for sure. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, someone named Sander, Velma Sander, asking about your biggest cooler. Was it the Kings to Aces hand? Uh, I remember that spot set, turn set. Yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty frustrating. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's t- Honestly, like the biggest cooler was uh, after I parted with my backers, I took a big piece of myself in a uh, 2-4-8 game with Rob Young and Kareem and a few others that uh, enjoy my action. And it wasn't even a huge pot, but I got it all in with Jack's versus Rob's 4-3 offsuit on 10-4 do two spades. Uh, he had 4-3 red nonetheless. And we got in like 150K each. And I had like a massive piece of myself. And he just only runs it once, of course, turns yeah. it three and uh, scoops the pot. And he just like retired me from the big game that day. So like, you know, it wasn't the most significant pot, uh, monetarily speaking, but it was extremely significant from the sense of um, it's just when you don't have the the luxury of, you know, a $5 million bankroll on hand at all times, selling becomes like really, really hard, right? Mm-hmm. Because like I went to play 2-4 that day. It turned into 2-4-8, sometimes 16. And it's like I sold like 100K worth of action. So I had like 250 to play with. And suddenly like that's 150 big blinds. And like I really need like 600 to play with. So it, it just becomes like a really daunting task uh, to try to stay in action whenever you don't have uh, constant liquidity at your fingertips. Yeah, and that's also, you know, in terms like you're mentioning, what you, when you say you need to play, you, know, it's, you start talking about that because it actually can affect in spots or like, okay, well, I think I have an edge or I'm 60-40 or 70-30, right. even about Jackson. Now, all of a sudden, it's like that much more significant or maybe like, oh, I'll see a safe turn or I'm going to play a little differently than I know is exactly right because there's other things to consider. And I don't have that gear, right? Like right. if I see an edge, I just take it. Even right. if it means that uh, I'm going to tuck my tail and leave. Like, even the way that this hand played out, Rob just should have had a really good hand. But I know Rob, and I know he likes to gamble, and it's just like, well, I'm not fucking folding an overpair when this guy's check-raising on 10-4 Deuce. Right. And, you know, I was right, but I got retired. Right. So yeah, Rob, Rob, I, there's some, maybe that was the run at once, uh, Rob. Rob's that he did in the Bahamas that game we were yeah. playing. I don't know if you were there that day, but I... Yeah. Same thing happened to me. I had aces do his kings all in pre for a huge one, and he just um, he just said one time and made quite a thing. Right? Yeah. Like he, he, he there, right? You can put pressure. You're going to yeah. put pressure on some guys that that maybe that is uh, significant yeah. or that is going to maybe be you know. Uh, they, they and there's can, some joy in retiring a pro. You know, yeah. like you send me back to Panhandle and find another buy-in like that. That should be yeah. enjoyable to him. Right. It's uh, there's there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of that. There's something there for sure. And and I think for Rob, though, in particular, that I, I, I respect too people who do that. They, they do it the same because he doesn't yeah. want to play favorites. I'm not going to do it for yeah. this guy, my friend or this spot or he's just easier to not have to deal with it either. If you just do it like that, then not you don't have to think about all the other things that that follow. Um, Someone, Jimmy Bluff, it's asking about the Pirates. Are you a ba- are you a Pittsburgh Pirates fan? Are you a baseball big baseball? Yeah, fan? Yeah, yeah, massive. Uh, they're unwatchable right now, though. What what what's their odds to win the? the are they just this infinite to one? They they have to just be. They might actually already be out of it, like fifteen games into the season. Uh, I'm not even sure. Uh, they're very 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 bad. They, I mean, you know, they're a typical small market team. They're constantly rebuilding. Every time they have a piece of talent come through, they just auction it off to the highest bidder. And uh, I think the likelihood of us seeing a playoff run in the next decade is low. 
Damn. Is that uh, what, when is the last the, have the Pirates won a champion um, a World Series? Uh, in the seventies, they were uh, a powerhouse. They they won multiple. Um, but and then in the early nineties, they had bonds uh, right. and went to the NLCS three years in a row, I believe, uh, only to lose to the Braves. Um, but yeah, they they put a playoff run together in two thousand thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Um, and got bounced out in the wild card game uh, all three times, I think. Uh, and then they just dismantled their core. They got rid of Garrett Cole. They got rid of Cutchin. They got rid of uh, Marte now and uh, all of the other substantial parts. What, what sports do you play? You play baseball. Do you play anything else now? Or, I mean, because baseball is not really something you go pick up and, and, and hit, bat around with buddies probably. Yeah. Most, uh, do you have any game basketball? You play pickup and stuff? Yeah. Um, I played. I actually played adult league baseball until I was 31. I tore my ACL, and in the rehabbing of my knee, uh, my shoulder actually went to shit. Like just going 18 months without throwing, I never got the strength back. So I kind of like retired from that point on. I, it sucks because I'm still probably, uh, if I had stayed in quote unquote baseball shape, I could easily still be playing now. Like I know guys in their 40s that still play. Um, but yeah, I just toned it down. I play softball now. I play pickup hoops whenever I get the chance. Uh, it's been tough with COVID, but um, pickleball, pickleball is massive now. Got a nice little group that that plays three or four nights a week. Is there is there a nice court area like multiple courts in Vegas? They have it set up. Where where yeah, you go? they're building a big complex at Sunset Park. Um, but right now there's three or four nice courts. Uh, there's one that's like walking distance from my house, which is great. We actually almost got into a fight last night, which is so laughable um so most of the the venues have like between four and eight courts so they can house a lot of players because only four people can play at a time um but the ones near my house it's a small park and it's only two courts and for a long time like nobody seemed to know about it. it's a new park uh and recently like more and more people have been showing up so you know the natural thing to do much like on a basketball court where only 10 people can play at a time is you start to become friendly with the people who are there day in and day out you start to run uh five on five or in this case two on two and you just work each other in right like winners stay and somebody picks up a new squad to to take on the winners well these three guys came last night and i've seen them there before but never in uh, a crowded scenario where uh they would have or have to share a court and they came last night uh they were there like 20 minutes before we got there uh and they didn't have enough to play so they were kind of like dicking around they took uh four of us showed up and they're like, Oh, we'll take one and we'll, we'll play. And it worked out where, uh, that happened. And then one of their guys left. So they only had two. So now basically two of our guys were playing against two of their guys. Uh, and it was a little annoying cause there was four of us and only two of them. And they were just basically always staying, but like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, then this other group that we integrated with just from having played with them a bunch, uh, there's like, you know, 10 or 12 of them, uh, four of them show up. So now there's eight of us and one of their buddies come and there's three of them and they're refusing to rotate people into their side. So it's just their three rotating versus our eight. And this goes on for like three games. And then it gets to a point where it's just like, this is obnoxious. We're not going to stand for it anymore. We're adults. Like uh, this isn't okay. And what happens is uh, the second that we start to make a little bit of a stink about it, two of the three guys on that side decide that they're going to leave. So now just one guy is standing there going, all right, who wants to play on my side? And we're like, no, you're off. You didn't even win. And he's like, no, like uh, I reserved the court. It's like, there's no reserving the court, man. This is a public park. 
Like, right. what are you talking about? And so now his two buddies turn around and uh, the one guy was just like a meathead to the fullest degree. Uh, one of the guys in our group just had a newborn um, and his wife is like really paranoid about COVID. So the only way he's allowed to play is if he wears a mask. Mm-hmm. And this meathead is just like super Trumpian and like, like basically you know, calling him a pussy for wearing a mask and like telling him yeah. COVID's a hoax and like all this other nonsense. And we're trying to like be, you know, just logical. We're like, listen, like we all live close here. There's like 25 of us between the four groups that come here regularly. Why don't we just integrate instead of trying to get here 10 minutes earlier than the other group and walking down the court. And they're just not having it. They're like, no, it's whoever gets here first, like gets the court and everything else. And now this guy who's like juiced out of his mind is just like, ready to fucking go uh, and all, he was ready to throw it on 100 percent, man 100 percent. and like you know it's it's me and three of my buddies who are adults and in reasonable shape and could hold our own but like we're not fighters and then yeah. the other like four or five people that are there are like in their 40s and 50s they're just kind of like, like what's that what's going on yeah there? they're like families oh, yeah. with like kids and like you know a couple women and it's just like they're kind of like scratching their head. Like, is this really about to happen? Are we about to fist fight on a pickleball court? Because these guys won't integrate in with us. So ultimately like calmer Hill, uh, calmer heads prevailed and they just left, but this is definitely going to be an ongoing issue. Like it's going to be a race to see who gets the court earliest, I guess. Right. So yeah, there's a, uh, all right. So you have a little extra, a little extra pep in your step when you go out there, you're ready. You know, something might be, uh, might be going down on the pickleball street. So, okay. Um, we got Jimmy Bluffett in the chat live asking about his back-to-back world series of brace event final tables. Uh, your thoughts. What was, uh, was there anything you would do differently there? Oh, actually this is, this is a great, this question brings me to my next point. You might go to Tulum. You might go out of the, out of the, the States and yeah. play, you played some WSOP races. If you had shipped that bracelet or back to back one of them, or when you ship a bracelet, do you believe in WPT also is offering the, the champions cup, you get your name on it. It counts as a real title. Do you believe that winning a major event and getting a title is, should that count? Should it be an asterisk? Is it harder? Is it on pace? Where do you rank winning a bracelet or a WPT title online? How do you think that should, should uh, play in? Uh, I think it's fine, man. I think it's all the same, right? Like this is all much to do about nothing. This is like asking if the person who wins the Colossus is uh, somehow diluting the value of a bracelet. It's like nobody questions the guy who wins a 10 K stud event that had 55 runners who gives a shit, right? Like, who yeah, yeah not honestly, here it might be tougher. You're playing online, players are tougher, and there's a lot yeah. of entry. You're, these aren't 40-person fields. Yeah, um, that's the thing. It's like whether we're talking about the live version of the small buy-in or we're talking about the online version or whatever, it's like these are massive, massive fields. It's like, of course, everybody wants to say that the bracelet's been diluted because you're not seeing repeat winners. It's very difficult to win a thousand-man field time and time again. But like at the same token – is there really that much to be proud of winning a 50 man field over and over and over again? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, we give a lot of props to the high rollers and they, they rightfully deserve it. But at the end of the day, like the streets that we saw Bonomo go on, that we saw Fedor go on, that we saw Bryn go on, et cetera, it's just constantly going to repeat through the pool, right? It's just who variance is choosing in the short run and kind of selecting and saying like, you're my guy for this little run here. It's not obscene. It's not that shocking to see a guy win 
seven, eight, nine events over the course of a year. Like it's going to happen. Variance is going to choose somebody time and time again. So like, I don't know. I, I don't see the need to uh, try to give too much or too little credit to winners. It just yeah. is what it is. You know, it's a nice addition to winning a tournament. You get a piece of hardware. Yeah. It's also, it's COVID, right? There's a pivot. There's a change. Yeah. It's, it's, they're yeah, you adjust. Yeah, adjust to the times. Um, what do you think about esports? Do you have any interest in getting involved in esports? Would that be like a team? Do you think investing? There's the there's the there's the uh, arena nearby, right? Yeah. The uh, at the Luxor. It's there's there's an arena there. Do you think esports is a a real thing? Do you think this is like ten yeah. years? Maybe Jerry Jones owns the Cowboys. So and so owns this and that. Do you believe that esports is the future? Where what's your take? I think it's infinitely larger than poker ever will be. I think it's infinitely larger than chess will ever be. Um, I think it's very difficult for me to, I just don't know enough, right? Like I'm just not tapped enough into that market. I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, I think it could easily rival uh, major sports in some capacity, especially in countries outside of the U.S. where sports might not be quite as adorned as they are here. Um, seems to be big business, seems to be uh, on a trajectory of becoming like more, available to every uh, household, yeah. uh, especially like as we move away from the common TV product and more so into the streaming product. Uh, I, I think that that will lend itself to esports having a massive rise. How it all shakes out, I have no idea. I don't know if this becomes a billion dollar industry or if maybe it already is. Maybe it becomes a trillion dollar industry. Uh, maybe it falls flat because it gets too diluted. Like who chooses the games, right? Like it has to be a massive arms race right now between game creators uh, as far as like being a part of the esports scene, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you on that. I saw you answer this yesterday. Uh, someone's asking about well, how to get rid of tilt. This sort of we're going to elaborate on that and, and talk about Elliot Rowe, who I've worked with. I you know you've, you said been working with them for years. Um, tell me about tilt, what that means for you, and also mind mindfulness with like Elliot Rowe, for example, or other things you may do to uh, stay on on task and when you're playing. Yeah, I, I don't think tilt is something that gets eliminated. I think it just gets acknowledged and dealt with. Um, Elliot was a huge part of my run in 2016 for the Super High Roller Bowl. I probably prepped more with him than I actually did with my team studying spots. Uh, you know, mindset is just, we're playing a mental sport and we're very fallible by nature. We're all flawed creatures. We want to self-destruct. It's in our nature and uh, finding methodologies to kind of circumvent that self-sabotage and uh, recognize uh, triggers when they occur, figuring out ways to deal with them. I, I think it's uh, an absolute necessity. Um, you know, I kind of tweeted the other day that uh, I was at my self-proclaimed rock bottom and I wasn't going to stand for it any longer, like no more distractive behavior, no more self-sabotaging and things like that. And that was just a byproduct of playing online for a month straight. Like there was so much money to be made. It was hard to justify doing anything else with my time. And I find myself to be at my worst when that's the case, because if I have the opportunity to work out or play online, I just look at the lobby and I say, well, there's a reason to play online. There's a lot of money to be made. Um, and Elliot hit me up and he's like, you know, you still have sessions. And I was like, yeah, all right. Like, I, I, I think that now is a good time to probably use them. But to be quite honest, like, maybe not. It was probably a better use of them, like, three weeks ago to prevent from getting to this point. Because, like, I recognize the self-sabotaging and the 
the negative behavior and I've, I've taken active steps to, to correct that. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a couple more here. Uh, I like this question. What do you believe from LGA on Twitter? What do you think is the most important to be on the top and play in the high stakes poker? What attributes or, or, or skill set do you think is the most important? Um, I think the ability to accept failure and being wrong, it, like some sort of humbleness is probably uh, at the top of the list. I also think that like uh, a competitive fire to overcome all of the failure that is going to be necessary uh, in order to rise the ranks is is certainly a necessity. And then lastly, I think uh, having business acumen and understanding uh, financial investing models is critical to any level of success at the high stakes. Um, if you never get intimate knowledge of how money is invested, uh, be it broad scope or in the minutia, then you're never fully going to understand pot odds. You're never fully going to understand people's incentives, uh, why they do what they do. You're never going to be doubted into the meta. You're never going to take exploitative advantage of all the money that's being left on the table. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, what about short deck or any other variants? Do you play mixed games? Do you like other formats of poker? Uh, I really enjoy short deck, uh, though I haven't studied it much. Um, and I probably only enjoy it because I had really good experience with it. Uh, I guess like 18 months ago or so, uh, I got invited to play with Kerry Katz and uh, a crew. This is back before anybody really had any knowledge on short deck. So it was right when it very first hit the scene. Uh, and we were playing, uh, I think we were playing 20K buy-in, 200, 400 ante. Um, and we were all novice. It was like me, JRB, Robo, Katz. Rast uh, and a couple others, um, and I hit my backers up, and they didn't want the action. So I took 40k, uh, planning on just like taking a shot on my own. And that first day, I turned it into like 280 or something like that. Uh, they invited me back the next day. They were playing three six with a 30k uh, buy-in, and I took 50k of the 280 I made the day before, and I ran it up to like 400. So like over two days, I made like 600,000 for myself uh, in a situation where I just got super lucky, really opportunistic, ran obviously out of my mind. Um, But I think it's a fascinating game when it gets deep. So like uh, I wouldn't go south um, because I think that the game gets very complex in uh, choosing candidates, uh, flop, turn, and river. It's very much like PLO in the way that the the, the board texture changes is very significant to how it impacts ranges because uh, you know, you just have so much bluff catching range available on any given street. Yeah. And then it either greatly deteriorates or it improves to nuts as streets kind of uh, move forward. So when you're really deep, you get to like set up a lot of really cool and creative river spots. Uh, you basically get to uh, navigate the pot the way that you see fit Um you know, kind of uh, inflating it in situations where you think a lot of runouts will favor you and you can potentially bluff or you just have nutted hands uh, and then vice versa, like trying to control the pot in situations where you start with a bluff catcher that's likely to end as a bluff catcher. Uh, you know, basically it, it is kind of the ultimate big bet game whenever yeah. it comes to uh, the skill of Hold'em with the variance of, of Omaha. But yeah, I just haven't studied it enough and over a year and a half, I know guys like Jay Coon and uh, 
others are just like elite at the game now. So I imagine that they know a lot that I can't even speak on. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. I've done some commentary on the Triton short deck, and it's it's cool to watch. And it's it's pretty quickly you can understand guys that are doing some special stuff and just like fascinating folds and and great calls. And they're just like you know they're they're doing some high level things with the, yeah. in regard to the game. It's 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 for sure a cool game. Um, I think it actually wrongfully so. It's uh, obviously there's more gambling, right? Because the, the more collisions, the two, three, fours, fives are out, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. But with that being said, there's still you know, it's a lot of post-flop play. There's a lot of decisions, and, and it's uh, there's a lot of maneuverability still, I would say, although it is more more gambling. Uh, I'll take one more question here and one more from Twitter. Uh, we see a question about Christian. I asked you earlier. I could tell he's a, he seems like a guy that's really just hungry, works hard, and, and does a great job. And, and the few times I met him, I really like him. But asking about how long you've been working with Christian Soto, and if uh, you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be now? So kind of two-in-one there. Yeah, so I met Chin, uh, I think, in 2014. Um, he was put in touch with me, actually, by Jay Carver. He reached out to him for coaching, and uh, Jason was just busy and kind of recommended me. Um, and we've been working together ever since. Uh, probably one of the uh, – I know that he thinks that, like, he created an opportunity for himself, but I also feel, like, pretty lucky to uh, have had him kind of uh, – you know, start in that mentor mentoree role and then like develop into a business partner and colleague and peer and everything in between. Um, his trajectory has been really impressive to watch. Uh, I would feel confident putting him in like any state game up to like 100, 200 without any question. Um, advice to my younger self. Uh, I mean, I say this all the time to people in their 20s. I tell my nephew this a lot. Uh, you know, Landon Tice's been hanging out here at the office the last few weeks. He's 21. I kind of tell him the same thing. And, you know, it's unfair to say that like it's advice I should give to my younger self. Cause I think I kind of understood it at the time, but like when you're in your twenties, you just have free license to fuck up. And like, you should just not be stressing over life and all the things that you're doing wrong or all the things that could potentially go wrong. Uh, this is your decade to just like test, try, fail, get off, your feet, get off your ass, dust yourself off and do it all over again. Like I look back at my twenties and it was tumultuous, man. It was like the amount of times that I had 10,000 to 60,000 were laughable for a guy my age. And the amount of times that I ran that down close to zero was inevitable. But had I not done that, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now. I'm certain of that. Like the stories of the guy who deposited his once $5 and then just like runs it to the moon and never looks back. It's like, in some ways he was probably stripped of a lot of life life lessons and also a lot of like his twenties, because in order to do that with diligence and uh, the maturity of uh, a 30 plus year old adult, you have to be sacrificing a lot of the impulses and uh, the risks that you're afforded to take at 20. Um, And, you know, a lot of those guys just ran well in those risky spots, right? Like a lot of those guys just weren't punished and that's great. That's, that's what should happen. There should be some people who throw caution to the wind and say, like, fuck it, I'm going to start a a tech company at 21. And it's Facebook now, you know, or fuck it, I have $100,000. I'm going to go sit 100, 200 in rail heaven and see what happens. And then they're Isildur, you know, like that just should happen sometimes. And everybody should be vying to be that guy. 
It's interesting. And, and so let me ask you the, the Matt Berkey today, whatever your net worth is, or you mentioned the 10 to 60 threshold, obviously played big games. You've done, you know, you had backing and different things, but you've got a business now, you have other income, you're in this place. Is it, is it safe to say Matt Berkey is, is, is uh, insulated? Are you protected? Are you, are, is it, you're, you're in that, you're older now, you're getting close to your, in your thirties. Are you not, I mean, you're not risking it all or, or uh, a big por- like portion of it. it. Matt Berkey should not be broke at this point. Is that safe to right. say you're 38, you got some stuff tucked away and you have some, some sickness yeah. or are you still ready to just, just rail it in there? I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine. I have a lot of security uh, based on assets and based on also just like uh, relationships and connections that I've made throughout the years, but I'm still pretty aggressive. You know, I'm, I'm probably rolled if, if assets aside, just the liquidity that I have, I'm probably well rolled enough to play 100, 200 on my own. Um, But with that said, like, am I still taking shots in good games at 200, 400? Of course. Like, am I still, taking 100% of myself at 100, 200 when maybe I don't necessarily have enough liquidity to justify it. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like when you have the securities of other assets that, you know, like if push came to shove, you could always start from scratch there and you have other income coming in. It's like, you know, you get to be a little bit more aggro. Um, Is my risk of ruin like 40% like it was when I was 25? No, you know, it, it might be like 10%. Where if I were smarter and more conservative, it would be like three or five, but th- that's fine. Like, I I trust myself to always be able to start fresh. Very cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I had uh, Maria Konkova mm-hmm. on recently, and she Eric Seidel was her mentor, and and one of the things he was really preaching was bankroll management and basically saying, you know, that so it's different because there's different school of uh, thought, right? Different camps. And his basically thought is like these pe- people that go broke and do that. They're really not executing good bankroll management should never go broke that sort of thought. But with your point, it's different if you're 30 or 40 or 50, if you have a family, if you have kids, if you're in a relationship, if you're 20, you know, and you, you it also know. matters the bankroll you're starting with, right? Exactly. Like we can't ever look at somebody with a thousand dollars and be like, you should be ashamed for going broke. Yeah, of course. Right. Just like, well, that's what I'm saying though. I agree. But I think, you know, there are people that would say, well, if you have a thousand dollars, you should play, you know, five cent, 10 cent and do like, so it's all like, but that depends too. Are you 16? Or, and it's like, you don't have, you know, you got your lunch money or are you 25 and you have a supplemental job and you have other things coming in and you have, so yeah, it's all, you, that's why people ask this. I think that's one of the most common questions I get is about bankroll management. It's so hard. Is it your last thousand dollars? Are you, is this your money to gamble with? Can you restart? Are you knocked out? Are you, right. are you Rob Young in you? Are you done? Like, is that the KO for the game or for a year or forever? Like these are all very, yeah, I think opportunity cost is like the number one factor. And then also your time bankroll is, is really worth a lot. So it's like, yeah, sure. You could play five cent, 10 cent and try to run it up. But like, are you really willing to dedicate six or seven years just to get to a point of playing $1, $2 or are you willing to just like work a job and, and get there the, the maybe easier way or, or the harder way or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that like, I think it's silly to uh, assume that everybody who goes broke made a mistake. I don't right. necessarily think that's true. Risk yeah, of ruin is just. Either. I yeah. think it's. I think it's. I think it's again. There's. It's like. Uh, you know, Democrat, Republicans. Like there's. There's extremes, or you'd be on one side or the other. But there's certain things you may agree with on. You know, the the other party or the other line or thought. But uh, fundamentally, you either believe one way or the other, and then there's some stuff in between. Um, Give me last two here. Your favorite streaming session. What was the most fun you had streaming? Was there a specific event that happened? Was it the World Series final table? What, what was uh, it? Was, it was probably the first World Series final table. I had played Heads Up 
against uh, a reg online 2550. I put in a 13 hour session from 10 p.m. until uh, no, sorry, from 9 p.m. until 1030 in the morning the next day. And I got like no sleep. Um, it was a fruitful session. We, we, we want a lot. Um, so we were playing like 2550. I think, uh, ultimately I cashed off for like 77 K or something of that nature. But, uh, I had to stream then the world series event at three o'clock the next day. So I slept from like 1130 till two maybe. And I was just punch drunk, man. Like, I don't know what I would be like drunk, but I imagine it would be like me on almost no sleep. And I'm just, I get loopy, you know, it's just like, you just, you have no inhibitions. Uh, you're, you're just willing to say whatever the fuck comes to your head. And I was just on one between the caffeine and the lack of sleep and uh, the chat kind of goading me and encouraging me to be uh, <laughs> doing, uh, doing what I was doing. It was just one of those things where it's like everything was going well. And uh, I was just having a ton of fun throughout the whole process. Right. And, and, uh, and that, but just, that was just one that stands out. It was just different. Like you're just, you're, you're sort of, uh, how you felt during the session and, and then ended up, that was the one you actually ended up going to final table. Yeah. And it was just spicy, man. You know, it's like, uh, it's hard to put on a good show every single day, day in and day out. And like, not all shows are going to be the same, right? Like some days you're going to be thoughtful and you're going right. to be. Uh, telling stories or answering questions. Other days, like you might just be like berating people or, or whatever the case may be. It was just one of those days where like it was spicy. People were asking the right questions. They were probing me the right way. And like, it was an entertaining stream to say the least. Right. Yeah. Not, not the other way, like the Negranu, uh, now right. infamous triggered race <laughs> attacking people and got set off to a, to a point. Cause there is, there is a streaming balance, right? There are days when you're happy to be there. Things are great. And there's days where you're kind of like, all right, like, I don't care. Let's, let's ram it in. And if it ends, it ends. Like yeah. there's, you know, there's just no, there's, there just is, there's a scale. Yeah, there, there's um, definitely a lot of those days. Yeah, it happens. So last question, I don't like the word fish, but who is the biggest recreationally ever played in a big game you don't even have to name that part but more so i want to know who is the most fun to play with so i want to know that who do you like to play with the most like just uh, the guy i enjoy playing with the most was probably one of the bigger challenges that i played against but uh i don't know if you played with him or not but uh marcus rua um he's a ceo from san francisco and yeah, no the guy just fucking battles man i mean he just battles he would just buy there were times where like we would just be buying in for a million playing like 300 600 and wow. just like, uh, just going after it. I three quartered him in a pot. This is like one of the most absurd pots ever. But uh, we were playing, I think we were playing three six twelve, and we were a million effective. He and I. Uh, okay. The game wasn't super soft. It was like me, him, Ras, Seaver, Doc Sands, uh, and a couple others. And it went. Seaver opened under the gun. Uh, Doc Sands three bet. Marcus cold called. I four bet squeezed queen jack of diamonds from the big to like 30,000. Everybody folds back to Marcus and he calls and it comes like Jack. I think it was like uh, Jack nine, eight, uh, one diamond. I have queen jack of diamonds, two spades. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, let me think how this worked out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, I lead for like, I don't know. Um, I think I led for like two thirds pot. So like maybe 50 K he calls turn is the 10 of diamonds, giving me the straight to the queen. 
uh, and the the queen had flush draw. Obviously, king queen those the nuts, and it just happens that like we get all the money. Um, I think I checked. No, I think I bet he raised and I ripped and he called whatever, and neither of us turn our hands over, which is so silly in this particular instance, right? Like right. there are two flush draws available. Like uh, any queen uh, is a straight. Um, whatever. Oh, sorry. Sorry. The, uh, the flop wasn't, uh, Jack nine, eight was queen nine, eight. Um, and the turn was a 10. So any Jack is a straight. Uh, so we get it all in and we run it twice. And the first one's a diamond and the second one is a brick. And I go, I think the top one at least is me. And I table my hand and he just goes white. He's so sick. He is Jack five of spades. So like Mm -hmm. we were free rolling each other. We would have just chopped the pot if we had tabled our hands on the turn. Instead, I three-quarter him in a wow. $2 million pot. So I win one point. I, I, I profit like 800K or whatever in the, in, in the hand in a situation where we're like, we would have just chopped the pot had we seen each other's hands. Wow. Yeah, he's, uh, I know he's a, he's a sicko for sure. The, yeah, he's so sick. He might have just ran it. He might have yeah. just been like, fuck it, go. Yeah, let's, 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 uh, let's go for it. Um, wow. Very, very, very intense. Well, you know, listen, I've, uh, I've learned a lot. I like, I remember us actually talking at the Venetian a couple of years ago, maybe two, three summers ago. And we were saying we should do a podcast. And we did a little YouTube bit, but yeah, I've, uh, I've always, we battled a bit, not a ton, but we played some high stakes cash. And, uh, I, you know, again, I think your reputation precedes you people know that you are a uh, you're a fixture in the poke world you do a lot of a lot of content and and provide a lot for the community so appreciate that thank you for taking the time on here uh if you have anything else you want to close with let me know if there's anything you want to mention coming up and uh, we are going to do a retweet giveaway so i'm just copied this uh tweet and, and, and queue that up so you can uh choose someone for that is there anything else did you want to touch on i think we covered a ton no, I think uh, I think our vlogcast is going to be live either today or tomorrow. Uh, Chin is going to be uh, co-hosting with Landon Tice, so they're going to do uh, a little bit about the live stake of poker. Uh, if you guys haven't been watching that, give it a give it a view. And then, yeah, I might just start streaming again uh, towards the end of the month if I decide to go to Mexico. Yeah, be careful. I'll try to I'll try to find that. I have to dig it up, but I remember the place. It's a uh, it's my my wife will know, but we we stayed there for a while, and it was it's a nice little like park, like a nice community area. It was pretty yeah. new and restaurant and nice, real nice gym and good internet and it's clean and nice. And it's like, awesome. you know, five minute ride to the beach or three minute ride or whatever. To yeah. And so, um, all right, let's, uh, you tell me when, and I'm going to go ahead and someone's going to win this party poker, $33 ticket. So you just tell me when. All right. Stop. Boom. Go stop. Whatever it is, someone's getting a ticket and we are going to, uh, we're going to be back tomorrow. We got Antonio Spandiari on the podcast for a second time. That'll be fun uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern and Fabio did win the ticket. We'll message him. Thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, Matt, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll battle hopefully on some stuff online when you're, we're out of the country and I'll be able to, we'll be able to go heads up maybe for a bracelet, have something good. I don't know. What's your best finish? And is it the, you've gotten a few, fi- several final tables, some six maxes. I know what, yeah. what's your best world series finish. You have a uh, I think I have two or three third place finishes. It's hard, man. It's hard to win, but it comes in waves. You know how it goes. It just comes fast. You might as well be streaming it. Winning a bracelet streaming seems right. So I hope to uh, join you for that. So thanks again. We'll see you soon. And uh, this will be out on all the different podcast outlets. And I'll, I'll send you the link when we get that done. So thanks again. Thanks, man. All right, Matt. All right, guys. That's Matt Berkey. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, all the different outlets, Solve for Why on YouTube. 
And again, knows his stuff, plays the highest of stakes, battles, and you guys will be able to see more streams from him and content coming up. And again, we'll see you for Antonio Espandiari tomorrow afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern. Can't wait for that. Going to be a lot of fun. And we do have a tweet out on that right now. You can see we've got the schedule posted for the week uh, up top. Also a retweet on that. And then the man, the myth, the magish coming in. One of my very, very close dear friends. Going to be fun to chat with him and, and catch up with him. He's a dad now, two children, and he is uh you know, he's, he's, he's not, he's not grinding the tournament circuit at the moment, but he's definitely involved in poker and he was just battling with Phil Hummett on the duel. So we look forward to that. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with party poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.